the Red 78. I just can't believe you've been positive for three weeks in a row. It must have been something that's so out of your mind. I can't believe it myself. Can't believe it myself. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Maradona no es una persona cualquiera, es un hombre pegado a una pelota de cuero y en el don celestial de tratar muy bien al oh, yeah. We're going to need a different version now for Messi, but I think we can officially bring it out of retirement. Now that Messi has uh, ascended to the same astral plane as Maradona, obviously not literally just yet, um, the Sox making a comeback. What a game. What a tribute. What, what Incredible. Like we were, I, I was thinking to myself, even if this, if this game finished after 80 minutes, it would still be a massive talking point about just how brilliant and scintillating Argentina were and how unbelievable Angel Di Maria was. Because when I saw his name in the starting lineup, I was like, well, that's, that's a surprise. Paredes will feel hard done by Di Maria's barely kicked the ball and he was very poor in the group stages when he did play. He was unbelievable. And then the big story was France just did not show up. Mbappe had 24 touches of the ball in the first 80 minutes, the fewest of any starting outfield player. And then from 18 minutes onwards it became possibly the greatest World Cup match of all time. I don't think there's any possibly about it. I think, like, what game... Look, We're just I, being diplomatic. I mean, well, maybe yeah. there was one back in the, you know, 1938 well, fair, World Cup. Fair. Maybe the 66 you know. final was equally mad. Like, it seems to have been so, you know. Uh, but I, I, left I, possibly I, open, I, yeah. Everybody needs to keep saying, oh, we live in the best moment ever to be alive. I don't care, just enjoy it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Not, although, I did, I did want to just... Spare thought for poor Cristiano. How must he feel this morning? What What's going through his mind last night? As that whole thing unfolds and as Emmy Martinez pulls off his saves, yeah. what is Cristiano doing? Please, please, has there been a documentary? There's never been a single moment of his life that has not been documented. Somebody, a documentary maker somewhere, is recording Cristiano at the moment of the World Cup final last night, watching it. As he gets sucked back in, he's in the kitchen, can't watch doesn't want to watch it and then Mbappe does his bits and suddenly he's standing at the TV screaming at it in like I, you know just in his underpants obviously because obviously well yeah. if you had his body you'd be in but then what happens yeah. what happens oh, I saw Emi Martinez I saw a tweet saying Ronaldo throw on the hurling after uh, Argentina went 2-0 up because he just couldn't handle watching this missed it yeah oh, like I, I was thinking about him halfway through the second half when I was like France aren't going to do anything here this Forget is the worst nightmare. This is what he wants, lads. He wants us talking about him yet again. <laughs> it's Messi's moment. Let's not forget that. I Forget think it's about Ronaldo. Him. Oh, I think it is too. Yeah. I think it, yeah, just it, to mention that we've done it now. Let's Messi's Messi's moment is magnified even more by virtue of how much of a shit show it was. It's like it's perfect. It, if if you were scripting it, you'd be like, oh, there'll be a little bit of problems that Cristiano has, and then Messi will go and win the World Cup. Because like, even last season, Ronaldo scored twenty four goals, and Messi scored six in Liga. And he would say, oh, I've gone ahead of Messi in the, the better player race. Forget about the big news this, this morning season, is that Messi's not retiring. There is like, it's, um, it had been generally accepted, I think, in a lot of pieces that, uh, oh, that's it now, it's the end for Leo Messi's like, no, 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 no. Forget about it. Yeah. I mean, Still going. Oh, he becomes the first player to score in the last 16 quarterfinal, semifinal and final of the World Cup. The only game he didn't score was against Poland where he had a penalty saves by Wojciech Chesney. Like, Butler, I can't his, believe it. His contract- he would have shared the golden boot if he'd scored that one. Yeah. Funny, yes, um, everyone was saying yesterday on, on, on the TV, it was like, oh, he's the first player to score in every round. And I was like, then everyone was po- pointing on Twitter, Jorginho did it. 1970, scored in every game in the World Cup. Scored eight. And Gerd, Gerd Muller scored 10 in that tournament. 
But apparently the well, that's fo- since the last sixteen came in. Yeah, sorry, yeah. since the last sixteen came in. Yeah, right, so it's yeah. made up. It's like oh, since the football started, was, <laughs> it's invented yeah, football. It yeah. is a start. Okay, so yeah, it was a start. But they're okay. Uh, what did you think of it, everybody? Let us know. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can uh, text us oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty. That's our WhatsApp number. Of course, you can get us on Twitter while it still exists. At off the ball am is the Twitter account for the show. We, we just want to play you this. You've probably seen this if you're on Twitter. It's the um, American-born Argentine commentator. What's his name? Andres Castor. Cantor, sorry. Andres Cantor. His, uh, his son also works for um, one of the uh, football coverage units in American telly. So um, there's great footage and great backstory about it too. But anyway, roll it there, Roisin. Montiel! Montiel! Chills. This is so good. Uh, yeah. It's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances was just lacked that intensity. Uh, we're breaking our own rules this time. We're going to start with the green. Yeah, we, we kind of felt like we had to, Jerry, because I mean... If we don't start in Argentina this morning, then there's something wrong with us. And I even wore, well, I tried to make an effort with my wardrobe today to wear blue and white to some degree to <laughs> attribute to our Argentinian uh, friends. It was actually by accident. I was in the taxi this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is a, a happy coincidence. But um, I, I don't really know where to start. I think we all just need to, to sit down and, and talk about it and vent and digest. Emmy Martinez shit has re- is obviously the thing that's going to last in most people's minds but like the save it, he actually he'd had a couple of mistakes yeah he came out and he flapped for a ball that, that cannoned off his uh, his right foot and went back into play when it was still 2-0 and you're like oof and maybe maybe Are he you could have a slightly stronger hand for one of the goals um, but the save at the end of normal time at the end of extra time you're like ah, Colin Wani he's going to be okay that guy's got uh, Colin Wani's going to be thinking about that for Forevermore. And that's why I felt like when he was doing the, the shithousery during the shootout, I felt a little bit sorry for the French lads. And I, I wanted Argentina to win at that point. Um, but a bit of part of me was like, ah, oh, Emmy, don't. Just oh, leave go for it. No, I, I do. I think it's one of those things. If you're his teammate, you're like, ah, yeah, brilliant. But if, you, if you're against them, you hate them. So he got booked for the, uh, the shithousery to Chouamani when he kicked the ball away. Uh, oh, Martinez, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. I've never seen a keeper get a second yellow card in a penalty shootout. What would have happened? One mm. of the players would have had to go in. Or would they be allowed to make a sub to bring a subkeeper on? Can't make a sub, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you can. So one of the, like, but I was thinking that. I was like, he can just keep him going here because he knows the ref won't do it. Well, goals, did he yeah. actually get a yellow card? Because I got a yellow card for the Chuamani. When um, he threw the ball away? Yeah, when he threw the ball away because that was so blatant. Like. I, did, I didn't see the brandishing of the yellow card. Um, who was on comms? Uh, Jermaine Gina said it in BBC. Got booked. Yeah. Mm. It was... Um, uh, okay. So, uh, not a great co-com. Jermaine Gina. Oh, no, he's not. No, like, no, he's not. He's, he's, I, yeah, he just doesn't add. I, I really wish I could listen to Ali McCoy's, but my. He's a five, former, former five aside teammate of mine, Jermaine. Leave him alone, please. Oh, yeah. Forgot, forgot your mates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's be easy on Jermaine. Uh, no, but Ali McCoy's was brilliant. Like, he was slagging England throughout the commentary as well. And 
a points joking about the fact that he needed to lie down. I think we all needed to to lie down. Even at the start of extra time, I was thinking, how am I going to do this for another 30 minutes? And then at, at the end of extra time, you're thinking, please, just don't go to penalties. Please continue. Just keep going until it's a golden goal or something. That la- the last two minutes of extra time was the most enjoyable watching <laughs> of any football match. Yeah, but also the it was torturous. It, it wasn't enjoyable. It was, too, uh, it was, it was so tense. enjoyable. It was too tense. I couldn't have done and, it. Like, Boy, uh, did just, you want someone to win? Yeah, I wanted Argentina to win. Oh, but well, then, there you go then. When Martinez, like, what? Latar Martinez was terrible brutal the like, header was twice yeah. the header was the header was also, appalling the, the one where uh, he gets he gets caught because he's running in treacle and then almost still somehow uh, gets the opportunity to score and then you're, oh my god well, he was he's just completely shot of confidence mm. yeah he is but he was central to the third goal his first touch is beautiful actually in that one too and then the shot is a blistering shot like which Lloris could really do nothing about other than save like I don't blame Lloris for parrying it out to Messi so he was central to that goal in fairness he did make a contribution yeah, but the header at the I end mean, was just uh, the header was, oh, was appalling but it was, you, you get lost in it because that was in the middle that was the middle chance of three amazing ones where Mbappe when he took two players out of the game that last kick at the World Cup I was oh. like he's going to score he's going to put this into the far corner and that would be his fourth goal of the game oh my god that's it was um, out of body experience at times. It was, yeah, yeah. And we still haven't mentioned uh, Argentina's second goal, which is one of the great World Cup final goals. Yeah, it's very good. That goal, like <laughs> by the end of the game, that goal, that Di Maria goal, felt like it was in October or November. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, when? What was that goal again? Adrian Rabiot's block at two 0 Oh, to uh, like keep them in the game. Upa Meccano's block. Upa Meccano did two. Larturo, yeah, he yeah. played really well actually. Upa Meccano was one of the um, the few highlights of. No, it was play. it was uh, breathless, breakneck speed, brilliant. And um, like I, I do feel sorry for France that they couldn't perform when it was um, yeah, when it was two nil up. Like well, because they were they were shy for seventy minutes. Yeah. And I, I like better team won overall probably. I was I was definitely wondering. I don't think this is just um, a virus because mm. uh, they were bad in patches in all their games. Like they were bad in against da- the Danes for fifteen twenty minutes. They were terrible against England. They weren't great for ages. Uh, and so there's something there's something not quite right. They're just not at it in every game, the way they need to be and the way they could be. Well, there's two factors you forget going into it. They had huge trouble in the background of the French Federation. There was uh, Philippe Auclair was on saying like this is not a happy camp. And secondly, they were missing several key players. Well, so that, I think they did really really well to get as far as they did. When you were saying that they were bad in other games, I thought they were but, quiet against England, for example. But I thought they were outright poor mm. for 80 minutes of this game. Like it was shocking to watch. Yeah, well, Usman Dembele in the first half. Well, it wasn't just Dembele. It was, it was Heat stood out. There was I a think. load of them. But Griezmann was terrible. Um, Hernandez was terrible. Like Theo Hernandez, lucky. Yeah, to stay know, on to he, made, he made the two, two, two uh, changes. What 40 minutes? 40. Yeah. But even that felt like a bit late. You're like, ah, oh, this is. Oh, I still thought it was shocking to have two subs made tactically in the first half of World no, Cup final. Could, he could have feasibly took Dembele off after 20 minutes. Like. Yeah, no, he, I think Dembele had played so well you, you're hoping that he's going to to- totally maybe yeah. totally play himself into a bit of form um, Antonio Valencia 2011 Champions League final same thing he had a great season a terrible final and that was striking resembled the same area of the pitch to right hand side of the attack but it was his very first touch Dembele like f- fumbled it out of play and then beaten by Di Maria and then fouled him and then there was another opportunity where he was skinned again and he just looked overawed by the occasion. Giroud was just very quiet. Yeah. When you were saying Griezmann was terrible, I just thought he was ineffective, just really, really quiet, same as Mbappe. Mm. That's why I think certain players stood out, like Theo Hernandez and Usman Dembele stood out for being outright poor in the first 40 minutes, yeah. whereas the rest of them were just, just let the game go by them. But you do, at the same time, have to acknowledge how brilliant Argentina were. 
like they rose to the occasion because the 2014 World Cup final against Germany didn't have a shot on target in the entire 120 minutes and you know that was in their minds certainly of the players involved eight years ago don't let this game pass you by can you imagine the pre-match team talk and when they were coming out in the tunnel I was thinking geez, maybe Argentina do want this more yeah. it's hard to go again to retain it as we've seen 1962 the last time can you imagine the comparison between the pre-match talk in the dressing room for France versus Argentina Argentina was so easy oh. it was like this is Messi's last chance let's do it for him but before the, the anthems like I was looking at you're looking at Mbappe and Messi trying to gauge who looks up for it but they both looked completely clued in and up for it I calm as well the French anthem was spine tingling. It was. I I was Both like, of them were actually. Yeah, yeah. But we know, but that, I'm saying we know Argentina because they showed it on the pitch that they were well up for it. But when you match like France's anthem and the players' passion for it and how loud it was, considering yeah. they were vastly outnumbered by the Argentinian counterparts versus their display on the pitch. Yeah. Chalk and cheese. Was it that second goal? Was it the second goal, the Di Maria goal, where the, Martinez kicks the ball out, the ball's in the air, and you see Leonel Scaloni on the sideline? really gesturing and getting the players before mm. the ball while the ball's still in the air and you're like like literally seconds later that Messi t- touches the ball on the lead leads to the counter attack that, that uh, ends up in the Di Maria goal but they just seemed so up for it Argentina yeah, and it, France were the complete deflation yeah, the force of will but there's so many mini narratives like uh, Messi gave the ball away for oh, France's last yeah, yeah. you know that's the one thing and then Montiel uh, handled it yeah. and then in the 118th minute of the game and he was the guy who struck the winning penalty they won and it three times and then lost it nearly lost it each time that's why I thought we were saying earlier I was talking to Phil Egan and I was like I actually did fancy France in the penalties despite the obvious stats staring at me which is Martinez is fantastic in penalties and uh, Lloris isn't but I thought like Argentina are heartbroken here because oh. like you say Shane they've I, lost it twice I do think though that Martinez's save electrified them like because it's the last thing that they're going to remember apart from um, do you think apart from the Latero but Martinez the Martinez face. chances after that I know but still like nobody expected him to score they didn't <laughs> I like, did I, when, when it came his, in his teammates knew he was not, <laughs> he was not scoring that and, but they all knew that Emmy is the man and so that like, would have been Troy Deeney like cause oh, it was literally amazing. seconds yeah. later yeah. It, would, it, it was just I don't like. Yeah, I didn't expect Latour Martinez to score either. But like you're thinking no, at that I moment, was, I thought he was going to score. Oh. he was crucial to the third goal. As we're overlooking hey, that, look, he's you, played you a huge that, okay, World Cup winner. But he was like, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying it because it's true. Okay, whatever. Um, he's not getting. He's not. How smart was Martinez for the penalty? Because he was way off his line when he saved it from Coleman. But he started behind the line, so yeah. he had a trailing foot just behind the line, so he was able to pounce out, which is a really clever use of it. Like he, this guy's, an, he could give a lecture on how to save penalties. I think, I think yeah, it, it was. It's more fifty-five, forty-five in in any, any team's favour in a shootout when you have someone like Martinez. I know the penalties; uh, they're not a lottery at all. But if you have a goalkeeper like Martinez, Lloris is hardly a a, a common penalty saver. No, it, it doesn't fit. Instantly he dives too early. Yeah, he does. Like but, uh, uh, Martinez's confidence goes way beyond the CV, doesn't it? He just carries himself so well. Like, what sorry, are you, are you he, proud of him? He Absolutely. What are you? Like, he's he's amazing. Yeah, but like there was like stats of like ten years ago. He's like an he was FA like, trophy he's match. one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League for the last four. Or oh, five I know. Seasons. I'm just saying on paper the teams he's played with versus the confidence of the man. It's like he carries himself like uh, he uses Golden Glove as a, a, a phallic. He did, yeah. Symbol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was definitely. I mean, like Morning, uh, he, he, Morning, for, uh, he didn't get banned for calling FIFA corrupt. Yeah. After the after yeah, the Holland that game, was I, mean, that was, I think that's actually my favorite post-match interview of anybody ever. Because he got away with it. I realised I started the show again. No, oh, he needs to stop saying it's the greatest. That was the greatest ever post-match interview where they're, they're trying to bring him back to like, oh, live in the moment of just having won the penalty shootout. Like, you know, all-time great penalty shootout saver uh, against the Dutch and the shithousery. But he's like, no, 
they were they were having none of it. Um, I, I, I never loved anybody more than in that moment. And then then just to be like, yeah, look at this, look at my giant golden glove. Yeah, look what I'm doing with it. <laughs> yeah, the photo with the, the I had considered uh, Troy on for the images that we have to show this morning, but I said I'll leave it out. Everyone right. saw it. I'll leave it. No, you've got you yeah. to luxuriate. Uh, yeah. So it, we're reliably informed in the YouTube comments that one of the Ireland underage keepers got sent off for coming off his line in a penalty shot. Oh, right. I do remember that. Um, okay. But oh, yeah, vaguely. Irish eyes there, yeah, commenting. Yeah, okay. It, it did strike me when he got booked. I was like, what's going to happen here? Because he's not going to stop doing what he does. That's his thing. Is the ref. Yeah, but when the ball is kicked, one, one of his legs is still on the line. No, no, this is not about the shithousery when he got booked. Oh, yeah. sorry. Are you right, sure right, he got right. booked? I guess my point is I don't. I trust went by the commentator. I didn't see the brandishing of any cards. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't yeah. see. But I was 100% guaranteed the commentator said he's been booked here. Okay, but yeah. then, you know. I know. But sure, I'm going, but sure, that's I the job of the commentators. The, and see the, the commentator tell me, I'll go by what they say. Okay, well. You know, just, so just like when I thought Magic was going to get banned for the semi final because on ITV they said he's now banned for the semi final because he got booked and he didn't and he wasn't. So sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes yeah. they do, but I go by I felt, uh, I felt pretty emotional. I think I, I felt sorry for anyone who doesn't enjoy or like football. Yesterday when I, was, when I was watching it, I was like, this is. I can't explain this to someone who doesn't watch. Or like football in any sense. I think there was enough drama in there to capture everyone's imagination. Hundred percent. It went beyond but like football some of the, and sport at the end. Some of the newspapers today rightly have like Mbappe ten out of ten, Messi ten out of ten, Rodrigo de Paul nine you, out of ten. Mbappe ten out of ten. Performance wise. No. Oh. oh come on. No. World Cup final hat trick. I mean the yes. greatest redemption of a performance I've seen. Yeah. Oh, he deserves ten. But then other other ones but are given I, nine and nine point five. We have Jean Philippe Leclerc on a little. Bit later on, he has explained how they keep do their um, their rankings, and I can't find them this morning. I was um, I, I haven't looked very hard. I've only looked on uh, on the phone. I haven't been on the um, desktop yet to be able to scooch through. But what did he get? What did what did they get? Yeah, I'd be interested to see. Oh, um, he does. He, and what they think? Of course, he deserves a ten. If a footballer ever deserved a ten, how much? He was the Shane Walsh of the final. Like. He was Shane Walsh. He was definitely Shane Walsh. It's he like, had to, Mbappe. Yeah, yeah. Shane Walsh has been in for the entire match. Mbappe, look. Mbappe was brilliant. Yeah. I, no, it doesn't matter. Forget about the first. Uh, oh, he half. was. He was. He was outstanding. It kind of goes to my point. It's like why can't he do this more often? Ah, but, but he went. Oh, he was absolutely. Okay. Geez, he was phenomenal at the end. Okay. We, uh, at the end. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, no, we're not having a bad word said against Mbappe. Oh, we should we talk about Argentina because this is green Argentina. This is green. We have done a lot for them. Uh, should we move on? I know. Uh, it's yeah. Okay. Go on. Go on. Yeah. I know it's performance rankings, but look, we'll get back to. Well, sorry. Uh, what? 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 Macron. What does he get out of ten? Uh, he's Is it twenty-two out of ten? Clown. Out of 10. Why? Uh, but they. They were all. Words. Ah. Theo, just get out of the camera and stop. Just piss off. Basically, he was like it was him and Infantino. Were, no, Infantino were, and the Amir were like when they were actually like bringing Messi over to the rest of them. Uh, I was, was like, weird. would you please yeah. walk away? Yeah. I was actually shouting at the TV at that stage. Would the two of he ever f off? Yeah. Just yeah. leave him. Like he knows where to go. He sees it's where all the players are. Yeah. Lloris said in his press conference afterwards that like there wasn't much said, but the president of the republic came in and gave some strong words. So maybe it meant something to him because Mbappe seemed to be listening. No, he was like, "This is the this is my president. I have to listen to what he's yeah, saying." Yeah, he was. Please I, leave me alone. I, I, I go, I, I go with Shane. Well, he was looking away, but though I got into being made three yeah. separate times, had him on the back and walk away. Well, and here's the thing: they 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 met on the pitch. I'm like, "Well, that's a bit weird." And then they meet on the podium when he's for the, getting for the top score when he's getting the, the golden ball. Yeah, and then it gives him the losers' medal. Yeah. But each time they're having a chat, like there wasn't just a, it wasn't cursory. It's because he's on camera and Macron, he knows. It's well, I, I, I thought Infantino was far worse than there's Macron. Footage of, there's oh, yeah. footage of um, Bertie and Roy Keane at uh, 
The airport. The airport, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The big, uh, it's not the same. The big Sopranos looking guy beside Macron was the, yeah, was the Argentinian FA. The Argentinian yeah. president didn't go because he thought he'd be bad yeah. luck. He was the head of the Argentinian FA, I think. But um, he, was Peter, he was understated. He was like, oh, I'll just hug the lads in. Peter English in the comments has pointed out that Martinez was booked. It shows uh, on an app. And I have said, I've watched said app and it says it here. Yeah, Martinez booked. It says on the score, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay, right. we'll get to the rest of them. We're obviously coming back to the World Cup within the performance rankings as well, but uh, we will move on to the other. Macron is like the Irish TDs are at electric picnic when they get into the VIP area, says uh, Miguel ah. on, on our comments. Jesus, not far wrong. No cameras though. No. The other green should deserve a very, very good mention. Uh, while the, uh, the match was ongoing, there was a game in, in Crook Park as well, but uh, the game I want to mention is Dunloy. Dunloy deserved to be in the green because uh, what a performance from them yesterday to beat St Thomas's of Galway by four points in the Ireland Senior Club Hurling semi-final. Um, prior to, to yesterday, Dunloy had only once won at Croke Park. That was the 1996 club semi-final against Kenny's Glenmore. Who was their top scorer that day? Gregory O'Kane. He was, was the he? manager yesterday. Manager, so yeah. right. It's all kind of come around. It's all full circle. Missed the penalty in the first half as well. Like, uh, it wasn't a fluke at all. And um, <laughs> St. Thomas has spent the last 10 minutes lumping the ball into the um, massively congested penalty area. Yeah. and just didn't have an answer it was towards the end like, cut it back to two with six or seven minutes left Dunloy get the last three scores well deserved Like it's not like a, a flash in the pan performance for Dunloy either because no smash and grab no definitely not. And they were brilliant against Loch Neal in the Ulster final a couple of weeks ago and um, St Thomas has had the extra week I think to prepare for this match uh, so you, you can't blame tiredness but St Thomas has looked the, t- the more tired of the two teams towards the end of the game as well um, I mean serious serious resolve that penalty saved by, uh, from Cunning, as you mentioned, Jer, and, and Nigel Elliott missed a, a guilt-edge goal chance as well just before the halftime break. So there were moments where you're thinking, is this going to be Dunloy's day or if they, if they missed their chance? Uh, but no, they were brilliant. And, and it was kind of a 90-second period, as I said, towards the end, where in the last five minutes they picked off those last three scores to really um, go for it. Gregory O'Kane, like he's played in the club's four losing All-Ireland club finals in the 90s. Uh, and early noughties but uh, of course in four weeks time we'll have the chance to, to lead them out against Ballyhill Shamrocks so uh, a, a big win for Ballyhill as well against um, I think it's uh, one of the papers this morning one of the Irish tabloids is pointing out that almost exactly the same moment that Messi 35 year old Messi was scoring a penalty 35 year old TJ Reid was smashing home a penalty <laughs> for Ballyhill to uh, get revenge yeah uh, Qatar to Cat Star is the headline on the back of the sun. TJ Reid was in perfect sync with Lionel Messi yesterday. The two stars, both 35, dictated play and smashed home vital penalties within minutes of each other. There you go. That's, that's class. Meant to be. No, nobody saw it. No, nobody that's, saw it. that's the problem. And Mike Laverne rightly pointing out on, on Twitter yesterday, Joey Holden was so good that Bally Gunner had to move Desi Hutchinson off him. Like he was just uh, imperious for... Valley Hill yesterday was Joey Holden so that uh, that final in four weeks time in Croker is going to be brilliant and Dunloy have a chance look Valley Hill beat all around them um, but uh, I certainly wouldn't rule out Dunloy Valley Hill have led everybody into every game yeah. that's the thing like so Nace had a run on them Kim McCord had a run on them and obviously like, everybody expected uh, yesterday that they were going to have it put up to them by Bally Gunner but mm. uh, so Dunloy have a chance and the thing is that and Gregory O'Kane mentioned this after the match as well lads that that Dunloy's forward line has some serious lightning pace and that's why he felt Croke Park suited them uh, and of course it will be Croke Park again in the final so look uh, Ballyhill will do their best to, to nullify that threat but yeah certainly that Dunloy forward line and the pace they, they have could certainly lead to some problems for Ballyhill so that's a cracking final in four weeks time that's the uh, the other green this morning we will move on to the amber look we're putting France in the amber um, I think deservedly so uh, like 
they were, yes, shite for the first, what? What, how many minutes are we going to say? 80. 80 minutes? It was 79th minutes was a penalty. Yeah, fair enough. Look, we'll, we'll go with 80. But um, Mbappe, as we said, the Shane Walsh of the final, came up with the hat-trick, came up with the goods. The two penalties were just cool as you like. And then the third penalty, of course, in the, in the shootout. Rightly stepping up first in the shootout, unlike Neymar. Um, so didn't in have fairness, it was interesting, wasn't it, that they both stepped up straight away? Uh, it had to be done. Also, Messi's, <laughs> Messi's penalty shootout penalty. What? Oh, so my relaxed. God. Like, just I, trickled in, by the way. It did. Like, there was enough time for Lloris to go, oh, maybe if I make, if I just turn around here, I might yeah. be able to... Nearly enough time. Yeah. I think Lloris is thrown by how outrageous the penalty was, wasn't he? Because he stumbled a bit. He was like, what? It's only there. Mm. He was embarrassed by it. There was the moment on the sideline where Olivier Giroud is fucking his, his bib down and he's so pissed off at being, t- at being taken off. But I think the uh, the way the game panned out then, from that, that point on... Uh, you know, vindicated what Didier Deschamps did. He made the changes when he had to. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came back into the game, albeit it took until, as you said, the 80th minute. To the do kids it. are okay as well. well. Colin Wani played brilliantly. Tram was very good when he came on. Although he, although he got a verbal lashing off Deschamps at the end of uh, normal oh, time. Did you see that? It was very aggressive. He laid I've, into him. Very aggressive. For, for, I don't know if it was for the dive. We, we, I haven't found out what it was for, like, but mm. he absolutely laid. I, I think it was something more tactical than the dive. I don't think he would have minded the dive, would he? Because there was a chance he would have got a penalty. I don't know. Um, I think it was more tactical. Kingsley Coman. Very effective off the bench as well. Yeah, yeah. they're going to be all right, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah. I, when I was thinking that at, at the end, I was like, sure, Mbappe turns 24 tomorrow. So, like, this, this crowd can go for another couple of World Cups. Yeah. Whereas, like, it did feel like, it just felt like Argentina's time, but I, I was still so shocked by the first 80 minutes the of French Francis display. Yeah. And I, like, I, did, I did think, look, this is, this is uh, reminiscent of Brazil in the 1998 final, like, that there's something going on. Something off here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they must really be ill. This is like, Spurs last day 2006 food poisoning stuff but like no Didier Deschamps came out afterwards and said no the players who started were 100% fit like no excuses um, and Upa Meccano who missed um, the semi-final through illness like he came back in and was excellent and Canate was and Rabio was excellent yeah, well yeah. sorry Rabio was good yeah. Upa Meccano was excellent Canate um, was unlucky not to play because of his performance in the semi-final but totally. then I guess Upa Meccano is the, he's their guy he's always yeah. in the team uh, felt so sorry for for Coman and Chiumini Oof, I've got the I've got the Lequeep ratings. Uh, Tio, Tio Hernandez, what do you think? Two point five, three, three out of ten. Oh, you've got it there, do you? My guest. The point fives. I don't, the, this is the. Um, uh, we've got none of the point fives. It's, it's all whole numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, right, Mbappe, come on, let it uh, keep, keep me in suspense here. Uh, Mbappe did not get ten out of ten. Seven. Ah, seven. Let's see. Is that your opinion or what do you think what I think, people do? What I think. I'm sorry. It's, I don't have them written down. Okay. Uh, well, we can ask the man himself, I'd say, when he comes on. But yeah. I would imagine... Uh, I saw the... They would have given... I'm, I'm talking about keep standards. They probably would have given him seven. Yeah, fair. Uh, yeah, yeah, I not think, fair yeah, I'm not, Listen. You, sorry, I, you'd I, have given him seven. No, I would have given him um, Not rated. Not on, not on long enough to be rated Giroud and Dembele. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, it's a so... I was going to ask you about sorry, that. Sorry, you... So... Kylian Mbappe scores a hat-trick in a World Cup final and you'd yeah. give him 8 out of 10. I'm going by his own standards. What, what are you taking the two off for? His first 18 minutes. Ah. He had 24 touches. Yeah, but does, is a game not... On, on the, is there not more weight given to those moments Listen, that matter? He is Those last 10 minutes, the, the extra time, the penalty shootout. I'm rating him by his own ability. 
like he's as in a victim of his own success. I just thought, like, no. look how amazing you are from the eighties. You're them as if you're blind. You absolutely destroyed the opposition when you wanted to. But where were you for the first eighty minutes? Killian, he I know, was incredible. He scored a hat trick in the World Cup. Final. I think Mbappe is unbelievable. But I was like, where were you for the first eighty minutes? Why couldn't you do this? I think if look, if you want to be the absolute best of the best of the best, that's what you have to do. And for eighty minutes, I was like, this guy. Damien Duff is right this guy can't lace Messi's boots and boots and then from the 18 minute onwards he was like wow the penalty well struck That's what matters. went in yeah. and then um, then he nearly won it for them at the end and I was the volley like, wow. was ridiculous we're forgetting about the goal from play as well yeah, I thought Martinez could have saved it but it was a great great volley it was a very good volley uh, <laughs> what has Kylian Mbappe done to you Colin? no I, I'm his biggest fan I would say why can't you do it more I would just have I would have high standards for him because he has something that no other forward has and I would like the most talented forward of our generation to showcase that more often. That's all I'm asking from. Yeah, what, what, what are you giving out of ten for Mbappe? I uh, you got I mean, like keep giving him a nine, which means it's a ten for everybody else. Wow, right? did it's they? Like, okay, uh, fair enough. Right, like, you got yeah, it is fair. It is. Still think eight. Messi got an eight. Di Maria got an eight. Messi got an eight. Yeah. I, I thought Di Maria was the best player in the pitch from what he when he was on the pitch. Sixty three minutes. I still think. Uh, I, he was I still incredible. think Di Maria. Like I'm amazed he scored the goal. Amazed that he he didn't somehow manage to. He had a right footer that hit the corner flag. I thought he yeah. was really good when he was on. Really, really good. I was always um, the only moment of the day where I wanted Argentina to lose was when Mbappe when the when the penalty at the end of extra time is conceded and then it's scored and Di Maria is shown in the in the dugout crying and I'm like, oh, I'm feeding off this. I got a strange sense of joy out of watching. I got Di Maria, Di Maria, Di Maria cry. I felt sorry, but I, I felt bad about it. But one one opinion that I saw lads made about France was that they were on the easy side of the draw and that they were eventually found out. I mean, because they, they, they didn't really impress akin to 2018 uh, throughout the tournament massively. They weren't a standout performer. You wouldn't have said, oh, this is the team. It wasn't like Spain in the group stages where we were like, Jesus, this could be, this could be brilliant. But look. All right, we've got like two minutes left. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll yeah. rifle on to the red. Uh, we'll start on, what are we starting on? Guitar. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can't forget about the fact that this World Cup was a World Cup in a place at a time where... Um, we all felt a little bit bad about it. Uh, well, did the sports washing work? Absolutely. Did we talk about it much over the last few weeks? Not really. Um, and then, of course, Messi was wearing the 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 bisht, the the uh, the cape, which I thought was a bit weird. Look, I know it's customary over there, but um, it just I thought for the photographs. I mean, it, it just looked pretty quick. It was. It looked yeah. a little bit strange. I thought, didn't it? I mean, yeah. it made Messi stand out from everyone else, I suppose, uh, which I guess is the point. Mm, not really. No, it's not. Like, no, and he's, anyway, it's not. It's funny. It's not the picture that's used on the back of the pages, and so well, I think we should. Move yeah, on. the moment he kisses the trophy. Yeah, the yeah. moment he kisses the trophy. But also, like these are all the, the English papers, and it's the same. You can be sure in Argentina, and it's the same in France, and it's the same in every sports paper. So the bish does not make the papers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go on. Yeah, it was a strange one, and then uh, Gianni Infantino kind of mentioned it, trying to edge his way into the photographs. What looked like. Uh, Really directing Messi towards, okay, go over there to the middle of your teammates as if he's never lifted a trophy in his lifetime before. Oh, you don't know what to do. I'll be here with you. Uh, do you want me to go over with you and, and help you lift it? Do you want me to stand there and hold your hand and be in all the photographs front and centre? Um, so Infantino has kind of stunk the place out throughout the World Cup, especially when he pops on TV, you know, 60 seconds to 90 seconds into every single match. Um, so we can't forget the, the darkness behind this whole World Cup uh, and I don't think people will I don't know if the, the sports washing worked it worked in the sense that we weren't talking about anything but the football but um, I, I think in terms of 
wanting to make people go to guitar. I don't know if guitar tourism will benefit massively from it. Sure, it's about tourism. Is it not more about um, being able to buy yeah. and sell fighter jets and transfer billions as opposed to the thousands that they're going to make from tourists? Yeah, it's quite quite probable that that's what they what what they wanted. But yeah, it, it just leaves a bad taste, and, and I think. Now that the World Cup's over, we'll probably look back on it more with a little sense of uh, what the hell was that, that all about. Um, um, what else in red? Yeah, the other piece in red this morning in the performance rankings is uh, the EPCR because Ulster Rugby, uh, their game against La Rochelle, well, I mean, Kingsman Stadium on, in Belfast at the weekend was ready for a match. That's according to Dan McFarland. Um, uh, the bottom line was, according to them, the decision was wrong. The game could have been played at Rivendell. Dan McFarland said, we've got to remember... I've been involved in European rugby for more than 20 years. Uh, so he says the referee, Luke Pierce, inspected Kingspan at 2pm on Friday afternoon. Uh, he's believed to have found 60% of it was unplayable due to the sub-zero temperatures that gripped the island all week. Um, and he said it was worth waiting until the next morning, Saturday morning, to find out for, for sure. Uh, and they said they couldn't rely on weather forecasting because they had to make the decision early. Um, Ulster fuming, of course. They end up losing the game. Brilliant comeback. Uh, but end up losing by seven points, 36-29. Toronto Nogara's La Rochelle, they pick up the two losing bonus points, um, having lo- trailed 29-0 at the interval as well. Uh, but yeah, it just... Uh, the counter-argument is the TV broadcasters and the media and people who needed to get to the game needed a bit of time to prep and get down from Belfast to Dublin and set up and all that crack. Um, supporters, of course, need that as well. The Ulster fans didn't get to see it. It felt like a COVID match, no atmosphere, no crowd, no fans. Uh, and I know there's security issues there as well. Uh, but it just it just seemed to be missing the sense of occasion. Did it affect the result? Probably. Look, Ulster came back within seven points. Could they have won that game in Belfast with a bit of an atmosphere? Interesting, in the Irish Times today, they're actually saying that Ulster have questions to answer here, that they are the ones who uh, could have made the decision earlier in the week, uh, that there were other matches similarly affected by the weather. And so they them complaining is a, a little bit rich. Now, I don't know what the truth of that is, but certainly there's going to have to be a proper... Uh, investigation into what happened and why it happened and like the rest of the competition bit of a shambolic weekend when you consider that Gloucester are able to send their second team over to Dublin and that's a complete no contest and it looks like there might be another no contest in the third round so what was once a brilliant absolutely amazing competition is now suddenly struggling for life notwithstanding the incredible scenes at the end of the game uh, where Munster got to Franklin's Gardens and Again, a little bit lucky with some refereeing decisions, but they made their own luck in other ways. So we'll talk about that a bit more with Quinny later on, but a um, bit of a shambolic weekend, all told. Yeah, decision-making, I think, should be in the red here by everyone involved. That was your Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. All right, it was Messi's last dance in uh, Qatar. Maybe it wasn't, but we're gonna, we're gonna, for now we're going to ride with that. It's uh, Kevin Kilman's last dance live from Qatar this morning in about two minutes' time. First, if you missed this over the weekend... Here's a snippet of our own Nathan Murphy's exclusive chat with the Republic of Ireland manager Vera Pau following the FAI's press conference on Friday. Take a look. Testing 1-2-1-2. GMAC 1-2. GMAC's morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. No, I forgot me club this morning, lads. Uh, good morning, folks. Graham McDowell here. GMAC, as uh, you guys like to call me. Some um, Monday motivation for you now. You're only as strong as the drinks you mix, cold beer guy myself, the tables you dance on, and the friends you party with. Guys, I want you to attack Monday, as if you're, I don't know, Batman. He's got all the toys, he's got all the cars, and uh, 
He gets the girls too. See you tomorrow. GMAX Morning Motivational Moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Kevin Caban, one last time. How the hell are you? I'm very good, yeah. Um, emotional. Emotional after last night. I think that's the only way to describe it, eh? Yeah, everybody's a bit strung out. Like, uh, it's a lot to deal with, you know? I'm crying at the Christmas ads. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I, Jay, I, I, I don't know. They probably, you'll, you'll probably never be able to pick up the footage. So it comes back into studio last night. So they're still running over the pictures and it comes back in. And I've seen Messi and I, I, I honest to God, I, started to, I really started to cry. I was like welling up watching, watching the pictures of Messi crying. He was hugging someone. And my voice starts to go and I'm waffling some, you know, trying to say how great this game was and what a moment it is for Messi. And I, I could hardly talk. I was literally crying. And in the studio, and the lad's like kind of looking at me either side going, is this guy for real or what? What's going on here? I, I, I couldn't help it. It was just un- unbelievable stuff, really. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I think I'm just getting old and soft, Jer. I think that's what it is. I, I do find myself crying an awful lot now at some of the most stupid stuff. If I see an ad, an ad on TV half the time, I'm, I'm crying like me, but you say there. I do. I, I, and um, I, I was watching, I, I was watching something just out of, before I came over here um like I, I, most of the lads who I'm working with here at TSN, they came over a week early and they, and they did um, the squad reveal, the roster reveal on the show. So there's a, a lot of backstories with the Canada team. And one of the guys' dads was on and his dad was from Ghana and his dad's dream was to play for Ghana as a kid. And he, he had to move to Canada, the backstory was, and he had to leave the kids back in Ghana and work here and send money back home before he could get the, the, the his wife and the kids over here. Uh, he's Richard Larea, actually, a lad who signed for Forest last year. He's still a Forest player, but he went back to Toronto. And then he starts to well up about his son's actually going to a World Cup because they announced the squad and they were talking to his dad at the same time. It was like his dad announced his son was going to the World Cup. It's the most emotional thing ever. I'm watching it. I was literally just crying my eyes out in the house before I went over to Qatar. So this is the sort of stuff that I'm like getting really emotional with now I, I just think I'm just getting old and soppy Jer. I think that's what it is but Messi as well bringing it all right, right back round it's like it, it did feel like the end he says he, he wants to continue and it doesn't really matter if he continues or not but yeah. um, for him to perform at the level that he performed at which wasn't perfect right there was it, like it wasn't no. it wasn't uh, it wasn't single-handedly winning the game for them. It needed a whole team effort. Yeah. But for the team to be able to lift him up at the moment that they needed to do, for them to find that as well, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, it is. I, I think throughout the tournament, I think it is fair to say that without Messi, Argentina probably wouldn't have been anywhere near winning the tournament. But in the final, it was the the water carriers or whatever you want to say that that worked, that scrapped, that fought, that actually showed a bit more quality than we'd seen throughout the tournament for that first 70 minutes last night as well because they they were actually excellent, certainly for the first hour, weren't they? They were, they were great. And then Messi just has these fleeting moments in the game where it is mesmerising. And of course, you know, he gives the ball away for the second goal and once Mbappe equalises, he's just stood there on the pitch, he's smiling to himself. And, you know, if, if that's anybody else who was laughing for giving the ball away, can you imagine... What, what everyone would have been saying. He'd given the ball away and he's laughing, but it was just that type of game, that type of night where, I don't know, whether people say it's destiny or whatever it would be, you just felt something was going to happen and that's what's happened in this World Cup. Just strange things have happened in so many games and 
just never feel like it's done, do you? And that's that's certainly what you felt like watching it, even at, at half time, what, fifty minutes into the game when you're thinking Argentina are cruising here, they've got this one in the bag. Do you think at half time, Kev, there was any chance of of what happened nah. happening? No, not at all. And, you know, we'd spoken just before the final about the virus that France had had. They looked, they looked gassed, didn't they? They had no energy. They did, they, they were showing nothing. Um, was it 64 minutes before they even had a touch in, in um, Argentina's penalty area? It was something like that. First shot on 70 minutes. It was just, I mean, that's the first shot at goal, not even on target. So they were just, they had nothing. They had they had no cohesion like they were showing. They looked, they looked like they lacked any sort of discipline in the shape of the team. Argentina were just overrunning them. Uh, so I, I could not see France lifting the level. And then Mbappe just came to life. And then extra time Mbappe was just incredible, wasn't he? What, a, what an unbelievable performance he put in. And, you know, you guys have obviously spoken about it this morning, but scoring a hat-trick and not winning a World Cup final, that's just, it's, it's just freakish stuff, isn't it? What does he deserve out of ten for his for his performance? We've been kind of having this chat. This uh, morning. Yeah, what would what, what well, would Lakeep Col- give him Col- this Colum, morning? Colum's t- take was that he deserved what seven. They give him an eight, I think. They give him an eight and eight and Lakeep. They give him an eight. Uh, you can't say he deserved a seven because of like I know he he was he was really poor. Maybe as I said for an hour seventy minutes, but his extra time performance and Kingsley Coleman come on and just Le- change. Lakeep gave him a nine. Lakeep gave him a nine. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Colum said he didn't yeah, give him a seven to. either. To be fair. Did he not? Did he not? He's given to backtrack now. It's typical yeah, exactly, column, isn't yeah. it? But um, um, no, but it has to be up there with a nine. He scored a nine. Yeah, sorry, he scored a hat trick in a World Cup final. It's got to be a nine or a ten, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think a hat trick in a World Cup final, it's like a ten. It is. It's really. Yeah. Can, even if you're even if you're shite, you're still getting a ten because he scored a hat trick yeah. in a World Cup final. Agreed. You know. I know. I know. I know. That's it. That's exactly what I think too. Um, the the quality that the Argentine players showed in that first hour. Um, was excellent. It really was, and I think part of that. So, uh, part of France being really poor, I actually would give much more credit to. Yeah, I agree. That. Yeah, I think that's. No, I think that I think that's fair, Jerry. I do. Um, you know, I'd watched a lot. We'd watched a lot of games. We'd all watched a lot of the Argentina games, and you know, the Paul, the way he was running around. I, I, I mean, I'd said it to you in, in the in the week. Uh, even Fernandez, Fernandez got young player of the tournament last night, and that's a joke because he was not young player of the tournament, was he? That we have to put that out there now. He had a decent game last night, probably his best game, but we hadn't seen enough quality from him. I know he scored that brilliant goal against Mexico, but there were times when he was very poor in possession. But it was about the work rate of getting the ball to Messi, De Paul, as they said. Um, so many errors, I think, throughout by various people. Otamendi, who actually had a nightmare in letting. Um, France back into the game last night actually had a great tournament he had a brilliant tournament Otamendi and I never saw that coming from anywhere and last night he was back to the Otamendi that we probably know and love over the years but I, I think I think it's right Jerry. I think a lot of credit has to be for what Argentina did to stop France and how they played um, Acuna was, was, was brilliant as well um, when, when he come on wasn't he and things like that there were so many backstories I think throughout within that side the work rate up front from Alvarez it was just extraordinary the, the the level that they got to, and then when France got that second goal, Roger, they, they looked dead on the feet. They looked knackered. They were gone, and they were still doing special things. Messi was still doing special things, even though he was just walking half the time uh, through that last, probably what certainly during extra time, but certainly for the last ten or fifteen minutes of normal time. Messi, Messi looked gassed. 
How did you feel, Kat? Like that last, those last few minutes of uh, of extra time when you have the Colomuani chance saved by Martinez, you have the header then from Lautaro Martinez, which was just brutal. But like it all happens. Like I thought I was going to have a cardiac arrest. Yeah. I'm in the prime of my life. I don't know how you lads felt. Oh, you know, I'm not in the prime of my life anymore, Shane. And I w- I felt exactly the same thing. I mean, is that the greatest save of all time? That that save from Martinez, just just for what what was happening With the context, in the game, yeah, maybe yeah. The context of it all, you know, uh, and I wouldn't be one that would be great on goalkeepers half the time. But uh, and I, and you know, at times he's made mistakes. Um, at, at Martinez, he's you know he's, he's not been great at times, but he's made big saves in penalty shootouts. He's obviously he gets the the goalkeeper of the tournament again. He wasn't. Um, Livakovic from uh, Croatia was was outstanding. I felt throughout he should have been the goalie of the tournament, and so should Gvardiol been the young player as well, in my opinion. But that you know it, they, they did it in that big final on that big stage, and maybe going back to what Jay's saying early with Mbappe, he's done it in a World Cup final. So you give him a ten, regardless of how they've played uh, throughout. And I think you know all these guys that we're speaking about here, and Martinez making that big save. It was just it was just watching it, Shane. I was just. I was up and down through the whole 20 minutes to go when it looked like the game was dead. I, I couldn't stand still. I couldn't sit still, should I say. I was up, down. I was moving around. I was getting stressed. My palms were getting uh, sweaty. Um, and all that I remember, as I said earlier on when I've been on the show with you, look, Maradona in 86 was my first real World Cup memory. And I remember it now. Surely to God, every kid that watched that game last night is going to remember this game for the rest of their lives. And it's got to have a... It's got to have an effect on them. It has to because See, I think, of, of what happened. I think there's a lot of that in it too. It's a year since Maradona died, and like uh, Messi crowning the career that we've watched for the last 17 years, 18 years since he's been a kid. For him to get the fulfilment in the last moment, literally the very last second at the <laughs> end of the tournament, yeah. there's there's too much yeah. emotion. And it's Christmas time. I know. You know, it's like yeah, it's a we're, lot. It's a lot to deal home. with. I'm away. I'm away. I'm away from home, Jay. I'm missing the family. There's a lot to deal with here going on. You know, I've been away for a long time, and the the, the the stress of it all. Jesus, I've not been able to get out and even have a drink too much. You know, there's been a lot of stress going on in my <laughs> life, Jay. You know, yeah. Um, uh, it, it probably was. And then you know what? And I have to say this. Then for for the ceremony, the, the, the presentation ceremony, the way that it was, it to be ruined, Infantino, is anybody else just screaming at the screen, get off the TV, oh, get yes. away from it all? Yeah. Because it was an absolute joke, wasn't it? And I'm watching him going, oh my God, if anyone's going to ruin it, it's you. You've just ruined this this perfection for 120 minutes. It was just perfection in the tournament half the time. And uh, I was actually talking to the guys here as well. A lot of the guys around us, the crew and everything, have got a lot more experience of North American sports and things like that. And I was going, he should not be giving the trophy out. There's no way Infantino. They went, well, who else is there? You know, he's the president. He's got to give it out. The MLS guy, Don Garber, he gives it out. And I, and I, I couldn't really remember, to be honest with you. They were saying, even in the NFL, that the, the the president or uh, or the commissioner, yeah. he... He he sometimes even gives the trophy to the owner of the franchise always. without even giving it to the players. You know, always, always the owner. I mean, yeah. just that is an absolute joke, isn't it? I, yeah. And I didn't know this. I, I honestly didn't know this. I've probably not been around enough to, to maybe if I've watched the Super Bowl to really watch the ceremony properly. And I'm watching this, and I mean, if ever there's there's a, there's a moment to make it all about me, that's what Infantino did last night. And if if, if that if he can't be if he can't be aware enough to realise how bad he looked on, on TV last night, oh, God, I was screaming at the TV, get off the TV, you. Honest God, he was, a hell of, he was just a job, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, and here's the good thing, though. None of the papers have him in any of the photographs. So when the press clippings come in, 
today to the office and be like, oh, show me, show me how great I look. He's not in any of them. It's it's all yeah. messy. It's all messy. Kissing the cup and then hoisted on the shoulders the same way that Maradona was on the field afterwards in uh, Mexico in yeah. six. And you'd hope that every picture now that the, the you know the, the legacy of course from this World Cup will be will be Lionel Messi. That all the the footage that we see will always be of Messi with his teammates lifting the cup and 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 holding it round his kids and whatever being a. Uh, um, being put on the shoulders of Sergio Aguero, being carried around the pitch, whatever. This is this is what we want the pictures to be and, and the footage to be, not Infantino, you know, trying to even get onto camera as long as possible while he was pushing Messi towards his teammates to lift the trophy. You know, it was just, if ever you want to steal a moment, oh my God. What else is going to stand out for you as a memory of this World Cup? Uh, I don't think we're going to get, I don't think we'll ever get away from, I, I, my, my memory of being here will be, uh, I think I'd said it to you. It was it was hard at first when I arrived, to, you know, to get a full feeling of the place and things like that. But probably the feeling of that the why was the World Cup here? You know, people can talk about the football and things like that. That's what they can say to me. But there there is a feeling of you know construction finishes here and you've got guys and you're speaking to guys. Even even last night we actually met a Canadian guy last night going to the game and got speaking to him on the train and. He saw. He goes, "Oh, TSN, how are you getting on with the t-shirt?" So not not that we want to actually show ourselves off when we're, when we're when we're floating around the place, you know. But anyway, um, the guy who was he was he's a, he's a Canadian guy and he's over here. He's been here since last January, and he said and he and he he's got a decent job, but it, he's the the, the, the Qatari his his company that he works for is taking his passport off him. Can't get home for Christmas. He can't get home till till next June. He'll be gone eighteen months. And he said honestly, he goes, I just wanted to say to you, he said. Um, my wife and kids are at home. They're watching TSN. They can actually see where I'm at, where I'm here. So I'm really thankful that, that you're, you know that you're doing the broadcast and the guys are seeing, or, or my family's been able to see what Qatar is like because I'm over here now with, without being able to get home until until next June. I've been here a long time. I'm missing home. I'm missing my family. And this is the story across across Qatar. People come in, have the passports taken off them. As I said, construction closed down during this World Cup because it, they didn't want it to be visible during the tournament. And most of the people that's in construction are, are Uber drivers now. And you get speaking to the Uber drivers across the whole of Asia. I got speaking to a, a guy from Nepal a while ago um, or in the last week or so. Again, he was telling me the same sort of story. I get two months off a year. I can't afford to go on several flights across the year to get back home. So I have to use it as a two-month block. I've got to go. like So he's only getting two flights. He said, and I feel like I'm missing out so much on my family and I'm missing out so much on my kids growing up. He has three kids, two daughters and, and one uh, and one boy. He's missing out on his son even playing football at times and things like this. And the, 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 the human side of it really hits you when you hear, you know, that the gulf between rich and poor is so vast. People call them the workers here, the workers. They're just, they're just kind of like these bits on the bottom of your shoe that, that are just here just to serve everybody around the World Cup. And you, you can't get away from that and how how dehumanised so many people actually are, Jay. It's, it, it's not, not been a good look, I don't think, for FIFA overall. Of course, we want to concentrate on the football while we're here, but how can you fully become focused on that when all this crap is happening around you and, and all this stuff that you can actually see because it's visible it's it's you're having these conversations with people when you're out and about and you know full well uh what actually happens here and what and what uh, and what the people are feeling like yeah it's been a very interesting period of time with the takeover of newcastle by saudi arabia that 
um, the English media is, is talking about Saudi Arabia and their human rights issues. And uh, just this week, uh, the news broke that uh, the Glazers are in Qatar having conversations with people in the region about investment in Manchester United. So we're going to see Newcastle get taken over. There's a good chance we see Manchester United get taken over. And hopefully the experience of the football journalists who've been at the World Cup telling the stories of the people that you're talking about. Because that, that's the, like the football is obviously today and it's messy. Tomorrow there's going to be all the journalists home free to actually say yeah. some of the things that it's difficult for them or they feel a little bit threatened to say on the ground in Qatar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, it's the takeaway from the tournament. Is I think most people will say the lasting legacy will be what's happened on the pitch because we've had some unbelievable moments. But ultimately, the lasting legacy will be that, will be maybe the staying on FIFA. I'm sure you guys watched the, watched the documentary around um, you know, the award of, of it coming to Qatar and everything like that. Um, it, was, it was amazing in itself when I watched that before I came over, just to see what happens you know that in fairness now Europe is almost like a, an entity to to to, uh, to FIFA to world football because it's it's no real power in regards to anything that's uh, that's happening around the world and, and within the game so maybe as you say there's even talk of 2030 that the World Cup being here uh, being, in, being in Saudi and for what's happened here in Qatar and they'll, they'll think the Winter World Cup was a success sure why won't we have it in in Saudi Arabia as well. You, you can see it all happening, can't you? It's almost, it happens before your eyes, before it does, because that's what happened with the with the awarding of the World Cup coming out here and to Russia as well, don't forget. Um, it happened before our eyes and we, we you know, you, you're watching disbelief, but you kind of, you can, you're pre-empty, you know what's got, you know what's around the corner almost. Kev, it's been great having you on OTBAM. It's been, it's been, oh, it's been, a, it's, yeah, yeah, it's been emotional. It's been emotional. Kev. Don't start crying out of us, please. No, no, I won't. I won't give you a tear. It's going to be emotional. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting home now, guys. No, but uh, no, I know I'll, I'll hopefully be on. Uh, I'll, I'll, of course, I'll be on again with you guys, and hopefully, maybe we can do it a bit more regular or something. Anyway, what? Uh, when are you actually flying out? I'm back. To, I'm flying out tonight. Well, it's it's the early hours. I, I think it's just after it's just after midnight tonight. So, um, what time is it here now? It's um, eleven thirty. So, twelve hours, twelve thirteen hours or so. Uh, I'll be on the flight, and um, yeah. Making up the time, I think I arrived back in in Toronto at eight a.m. eight a.m. local time. So yeah, we'll make up a bit of time for the flight flying back um, to the west. So yeah, I can't I can't wait to get home now. Really, well, safe home. Um, uh, pr- privilege talking to you as regularly as we have done. I'm really looking forward to doing it again. Cheers. Lovely. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Thanks, Shane. Thanks very much for everything. Thank you. It's uh, Kevin Caban with us live from Doha for the last time this morning at eight twenty six OTB AM. Brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's go to Paris. I'm delighted to say we've got Jean-Philippe Leclerc of L'Equipe newspaper with us. Uh, Jean-Philippe, um, we say sorry for your trouble in this part of the world whenever there's been a bereavement. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Yeah, and, uh, It's always nicer to, to to lose a World Cup in the summer than in, in the winter, I can tell you that. I mean, I can at least you can go outside and uh, enjoy the beautiful weather, but uh, when you lose... Uh, a World Cup final like this in the middle of the, of the winter, I mean, it, it's uh, even more gloomy and even and uh, even more depressing. So the atmosphere is, in France this morning is uh, is terrible. <laughs> well, yeah. traditionally, in the aftermath of a defeat like this, in most football cultures, there is a scapegoat, there's someone to blame. 
it's difficult to know exactly how to respond to what we saw from France yesterday because they were terrible and then they were amazing and then they were unlucky a little bit at the end. So what's the what's the truth? Where what happened? I mean, as usual, we we kind of blame the the ref, but I'm not uh, exactly comfortable with that. I don't think he was the main uh, the main uh, problem. For me, the main problem was tactically. I think we we lost the game in the first 20 minutes. We were so bad, and uh, we couldn't adjust to um, to the fact that it was a bit of a surprise that that Di Maia was in the starting eleven of Argentina. And I think we, we couldn't ad- adapt to that. There was so much space around him. He could do pretty much what he wanted on, on, on his wing. And uh, the time to, um, to understand what was going on, to recover, to make the, 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 the substitute, uh, substitutions, um, it was not too late because still we could have won that, that final. But it was very late. I mean, 2-0. Uh, and uh, until... Um, the 70s minutes uh, in the second half, we, it was the worst, one of the worst game I've ever seen from uh, from France. So then again, we we scored those two goals, and it was a total uh, different game. But um, I think, um, I mean, the, the the problem for me was more tactically than than anything else. When when Deschamps makes those two changes, Jean Philippe, on 40 minutes, like. Is there an argument he, he makes the changes even too late? That's my opinion. Uh, it's not shared by all the journalists at, at L'Equipe, um, but uh, that's my opinion. Um, uh, there was some kind of, of doubt about Giroud, um, and uh, the, the day before the final, the day before the game, during the last uh, training, um, the, during the, the first uh, half, of the, they had the, um, the, what, what we call mise en place, uh, we we knew we knew that that um, that Deschamps was thinking of playing Thuram instead of uh, of Giroud. Um, he, st- he stick to his um, to his uh, first eleven to the team that played right from the beginning, uh, the same uh, starting eleven, and um, we can understand that. But um, um, at the end of the day. I think the main problem is that w- we didn't we didn't think that Di Maia would play and uh, we didn't adjust to that. Um, and I said the, the 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 tactic was not for me. The tactic was really the the, the main the main problem. And um, what did Colomani um, and Turam was good, but we had to wait for the the, the second the substitution uh, at the, the near the 17th minute when uh, when Coman uh, and uh, was um, the second one Coman um, and uh, Kamavinga when, the, when, they, when they went on the pitch that's really that was really the turning point for for, for the French but uh, but before that well, that it was a terrible game I mean we, we were like we were watching television at uh, L'Equipe uh, at our office uh, we couldn't believe it because uh, we have lost final in the past, but not this way. We were thinking like we can not, not lost like this, and uh, and then came Mbappe, <laughs> but uh, it was not enough, unfortunately. Uh, before we get to Mbappe, the the illness in the camp was something that was held up as a reason for France's performance. But actually, you know, um, you talk about Coman. Coman apparently had whatever the virus was, and he looked full of energy. Uh, Ravio did not look like he was lacking in energy. He actually played okay. I thought, you know, he, he played a Ravio game. So, 
you, you probably, from what you're saying, don't really hold that as any of the reason for the bad performance in the first half in particular, that it was purely tactical and less physical. It's very hard to say, you know, the, the, this virus, because uh, Deshaun and staff didn't want to talk about it. So we don't know much about it. We don't know. There was a speculation that it could be COVID, but I don't think so, because the players were coming back to training pretty pretty quick. They were not isolated. Uh, that would have made sense to isolate them if they really had COVID. So, uh, yeah. I and if you look at the players that the, the, um, that play really really bad yesterday, they were not the one who was supposed to be to be healed. Uh, I mean, the um, the worst on the pitch was Dembele. His, his uh, first half, his first uh, forty minutes were absolutely uh, awful. Uh, we didn't see the the Griezmann that we have seen um, since the beginning of the of the tournament. And uh, they were not on the sick list. So, um, no, I don't think it, it could be. Deshaun mentioned that after the game, but uh, before the game, uh, they were very mysterious about what was going on in the French camp. Still now, we don't know exactly what was uh, what what really happened with this uh, mysterious um, uh, Qatari virus. The, the uh, penalties themselves in the shootout, Jean-Philippe, like uh, often when, it, when a penalty is missed in a shootout, those become infamous and they go down in history for all the wrong reasons and, and those come on and, and sure many kicks, particularly sure many because clearly Emmy Martinez seemed to get in his head, uh, you know, throwing the ball away and, and talking to him before the kick. Um, what's the reaction been like in France to, to Coman and sure many's misses in particular? Uh, we kind of put more the blame on Lloris, uh, the, the keeper. Uh, he had a wonderful tournament, uh, but uh, if you look at his uh, statistics when it comes to penalty shootout, it's a disaster with France at least, because he has never saved a, a single uh, penalty shootout in his whole career with France. It's uh, uh, nine penalties uh, and nine penalties uh, conceded. So, what? But. The problem with Chouamini and, and Coman is that um, uh, Coman is kind of used to shoot uh, to shoot uh, penalties, but uh, Chouamini uh, never. Uh, so, and uh, this morning, and I saw on, on Twitter the last time that he had to shoot a penalty, it was a disaster. I mean, uh, he missed he missed the the, the, the the goal already. So, um, but the problem is that the experienced player were out of the pitch. Um, Griezmann was out. Giroud was uh, was already out. So, so. Um, but of course, there's always this, you know, like uh, what happened in England uh, when they lost to Italy during the Euros. There are always some stupid, uh, racist uh, supporters who blame uh, who blame Coman, who blame uh, who blame uh, Chouameni. But um, but the deep, the real football fans, they don't really blame them. They they blame. And the fact also, they blame a bit Deschamps because Deschamps always say that it's it's not um, it's not uh, you don't have to to work on penalty shootouts. Uh, it's not worth it. It's only you know it's only chance. It's only and um, look at what happened. I mean, we are we are pretty bad at it. We are nearly as bad as the English when when it comes to penalty shootouts. So maybe it's time to to work a little bit on that for the next tournaments. What happens with Didier Deschamps now? Uh, Manuel Macron after the semi-final was like, "Oh, give him a new contract, sign him up." Yeah. What was? Uh, if, Ma- if, sorry, Macron. Like he was, he was also very centrally involved last night in the aftermath. Too much. A lot of camera. It was too much. Yeah. Yeah, it was too much. I mean, I mean, it's good to have the the, the French president in Doha for the 
that's normal for the World Cup final. But uh, he, ha- he has to stay in a VIP uh, lounge, you know. He, d- he didn't have to be on the pitch. Uh, for me, that was really too much. And uh, and the fact that uh, he considered himself uh, the, 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 also the president of the French Federation uh, of Football is, yeah, he did too much. Uh, maybe... I mean, his job was to be in a VIP lounge, maybe go to the dressing room and try to console the, the players. But to be to, to see him like this on the pitch, it was such an embarrassment because obviously Mbappe was not feeling too comfortable about about this. Like, uh, what what the hell is he doing on on, on the pitch? You know, it's like if, if Mbappe was going to the, the Palais de l'Elysée to uh, to say, okay, uh, uh, you have to do this, uh, you have to to do that. I mean. I didn't. We we didn't really like that. But uh, talking about Deschamps yesterday, he didn't. I mean, he didn't say what he wanted to do. Obviously, now he's got the choice because before the World Cup, uh, the president of the French Federation, Noël Legrette, said that uh, he had to uh, the 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 Les Bleus had to reach the semi-finals. That was the the, the target, the objective. So now that he did it, he, he got pretty much the choice. But um, Yesterday he didn't say anything. He didn't say, "Okay, uh, I'm here to stay," or he didn't say, uh, "It's time for me to uh, to move to another experience" or anything like this, because there's always the shadow of Zinedine Zidane, you know. So, um, so um, now it's the next. We, we now we got two big mysteries, two big questions: a question about Deschamps and also a question about Benzema. Because uh, what's going to happen with Benzema? He, he won the Ballon d'Or, but. Um, there are some tensions with uh, with the staff, tension with Deschamps, tension with some players. Will he be back with the French national team? At this point, we don't know. Was there a possibility that he could have played? Because it felt like uh, the reporting from Spain, which you would assume is close to Benzema from Marca, suggested that he would have been fit if he'd stayed around and therefore would have been in contention to come off the bench last night if he'd had any minutes in the quarterfinal or semifinal. Yeah, but I mean, two different uh, questions for me. First question is that could he have stayed in uh, in Qatar and played later in the tournament? I don't know. Maybe, but um, I kind of share the the Deschamps opinion. I mean, it, you know, Benzema he's got a very uh, big, very strong personality, and um, there was always this uh, this uh, this question before the tournament. Will he play? Will he not play? Then he get injured. So he would have stayed, you know, it would have been, a, I think, a distraction for the team and uh, for the medias, for the for the fans. It, to have all, to ask always, ah, will Benzema play? And at least, I mean, he get in, he didn't, you have to remember that he didn't play much before the tournament, which was a bit of a problem. Then he get injured in uh, in Qatar. So it means that we had to wait for him to be, you know, fully, uh, fully uh, fit. To play a game and and even my opinion, my personal opinion, I'm not sure that this French national team would have been better even with a fully fit uh, Benzema. Just a question of balance. Look at what happened at the Euro. Uh, Benzema was there and uh, we played one very fantastic game against Germany. We beat Germany in Germany, but then that was pretty much the end of the tournament. I mean, uh, we really played bad with with Benzema. Then we won the the Ligue des Nations and Benzema were there, but um, there was kind of, it was a kind of a miracle that we beat the Belgium, for example. Even the final against Spain was was a kind of a miracle. 
I think the the team that Deschamps built for this tournament in Qatar was much more balanced without Benzema than with Benzema. And Benzema is is maybe one if yeah if not the best player in the world right now, but. You know that uh, football is not only an addition of talents. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's still, uh, even with all this business and stuff, it's still a, a, a team uh, game. And uh, I think that the team was much more yeah, balanced without him than, than uh, it would have been with him. Well, Mbappe certainly stepped up and, and filled that void. We were talking about the L'Equipe player ratings this morning, Jean-Philippe. What is it, a, a nine for Kylian Mbappe? Is that right? Yes, um, Mbappe, yeah, at a nine, he was... Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's even hard to realize, I guess, for him and even for us. You score three goals in a World Cup final. You are the first one to do that since 1966, and uh, you 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 score your penalty shootout. And still, I mean, you 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 don't win the cup. It, yeah, it must be terrible for him. But uh, I'm sure he'll recover. And what is very encouraging for for France, we try to to be positive this morning, which is not always easy, but. Is that we 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 have a fantastic team of young players. I mean, most of the players and the players who did well yesterday are are still very young. And we got look at a player like Saliba. You know, you know him well. I mean, William Saliba is fantastic with Arsenal. We haven't seen him much, only a few minutes against Tunisia. Uh, look at Fofana for for Chelsea. He's a, he's a fantastic player. He was not even in uh, in Qatar. We got so many young, talented players. I mean, uh, so we can. Of course, we are disappointed and more than, than disappointed this morning. But um, for the future, for the Euro in Germany, on the next World Cup, I think we're still going to be around because, uh, I mean, we we, we are such uh, we, we got so many young, talented players. And Kunku was not there, you know. So I think it's really the start of a new new story, new generation. I think we have to forget about you know the likes of Pogba and and. Um, and Golo Kante, I don't know because I like him very much, but uh, I think we have to forget definitely about Pogba. And uh, now we have the we have a new generation of players, and and uh, and uh, Mbappe is going to be the leader. He's going to be he's going to be twenty four tomorrow. So you know, only twenty four. Look at the, what kind of level he is. I mean, uh, so we can still be, be very optimistic about the future of this uh, of this French national team. I think. Who would you prefer to be the manager for that young group of talent coming through? Do you want Deschamps or would you prefer Zidane? Uh, of course, I have to pay my respect to Deschamps. He has done a fantastic job, but maybe it's time to... Um, to um, what, I, what I'm a bit concerned is that Zidane now is free, but uh, what's going to happen in two years' time? So I'm very... Yeah, I'm very... Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what to think because I think that Deschamps... More than deserve to, uh, if he wants to, more than deserve to uh, to to stay with the French national team to go to Euro in Germany. But on the other hand, I mean, um, we have we are Zidane who is ready to take the job. So you know, <laughs> it's very conflicting because uh, maybe for this new generation, yeah, maybe maybe uh, Zidane will be will be better. But um, but uh, yeah, it's very very hard to say. If Zidane comes back, I think that it will be good for Benzema. So will Mbappe will like it? So it's uh, it's very tricky question to to answer. One last one for me: um, Dembélé and Giroud didn't get rated at all in the player ratings. Does that mean they get a zero? Is that is that the equivalent of a zero, or is it worse than zero? 
No, no, no. We we never we never rate zero. It never happened. Uh, or maybe one time uh, because a player was sent off after you know for for a stupid reason. But uh, no, uh, Dembele at a two, which is very low. Uh, but um, but I mean, the, it was not easy for him. We know it was not his. Um, uh, Deschamps asked him to do a lot of defensive work. That maybe he was a bit tired of it. We 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 didn't see the Dembele that we that we see usually in Barcelona or that we have seen in the past with the French national team. It was a very uh, restricted Dembele, and um, so we we don't want to put too too much blame on him, you know. Uh, but uh, but I mean, he was uh, he was uh, he, for me he was more a victim than uh, than anything else. But. Um, I hope he's still young too, so I hope we'll see a better than Belize in that. But uh, the kind of job, defensive job, he had to do on, on his wing, Mbappe he didn't have to do it on the other wing. So you know, it's, uh, it would be unfair to put all the blame on Dembélé. And just finally, for me, Jean Philippe, that that moment at the end from from um I mean, I'm sure it's it's one that that you were standing on your feet for, and it was a brilliant save by Emi Martinez, but. I'm sure that's a moment Colin Mouani will think about for, for the rest of his life. It was a big, big, big chance. Yes, of course. But uh, if you look at this, uh, at this personal story, he was not supposed to be at the World Cup. He was in, uh, in Japan with Intrac Frankfurt when uh, Deschamps called him because Nkunku was injured. So I, uh, and uh, nobody, honestly, nobody, he was playing for Nantes last year. Uh, he was doing pretty well, but uh, if you had told me even one year ago that uh, Colomani would be uh, would be playing the the World Cup final and that he would play at that level, that he would be uh, the, about to be the key player of that final, uh, so I would have been more than surprised. And uh, even him, I mean, four years ago he, he watched the World Cup alone in his apartment, and the year after, three years ago, he was playing for. Uh, for um, uh, Boulogne in uh, third division, so I think he, he, he has to be very positive for what he has done. And you you can say that I don't think he, he really missed his his, his chance. Mm. I mean, it's the the Argentinian goalkeeper who did fantastic. So so I think Colomani yes yesterday was uh, was uh, yeah yeah we we didn't expect him to be at that level. Honestly, Jean Philippe, always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Thanks to you guys. Jean-Philippe Leclerc of L'Equipe newspaper there giving us an insight into the, the French pain the suffering that they're the existential grief mm. I think we should, he mentioned the referee at the start there Marciniak the Polish referee and he had a great game I thought like, well, as in like we're forgetting that sometimes for a, a game of that magnitude you need someone who's not going to let, let it flow and yeah. let it happen and he did to be fair so it's one of the reasons they never get credit there so I'm going to give him a modicum of credit this morning uh, and all, it was almost never brought up in commentary that he was a uh, former professional footballer, of course. It sounded like, um, I was watching the BBC, it sounded like they were trying to go Jermaine Genius into uh, becoming a referee. He was having none of it. It's like, man, uh, 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 you know. Not happening. Premier League footballer, don't need, don't need the hassle. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, a reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Colin Milani is here to talk about another weekend of bumper club GA action. Before we get to all that though, Carl, your thoughts on... Messi's crowning glory. Ah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, it was just uh, such an iconic game. Um, we were—I was actually here in the office, and everyone was taking a glance at it and, and glued to it. Then, once extra time got underway, but um, Shane mentions that Muani chance. I mean, that—that that really was the moment, wasn't it? That was, and he didn't do a whole lot wrong. I mean, he no, struck it really well. To him, yeah, I know he could have squared it across, 
and if you compare it to uh, McAllister for Di Maria's goal, that was a great ball across to set up for that. But I mean, in the moment, with so much on the line, it's very hard to know what to do. But I thought he, he obviously struggled well, and Martinez makes a great save. But um, that was fantastic tournament football-wise. I mean, from the, the latter stages, the group stages, all the way through, was brilliant. And uh, I know Infantino spoke. He did a press conference later last week, and he spoke about they may revert back to the four-team groups again in 2026. Uh, which, based on this year's really group sense, stage, which is why I think tro- they won't do it. Yeah, I think once he once he floats it, though, they ha- that's it. Yeah, yeah. But I think they have to now. I mean, the, the 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 final round of group matches in this campaign was outstanding, and really that brought the tournament to life and set it up for the knockout stage. Uh, so hopefully they do stick with that. But obviously you're going to have 48 teams. So what's that? 12 groups of four in the next tournament. Yeah, Jeez. a lot of football matches. A lot of research to be done on teams for yeah. for journalists covering yeah. as well. Like I know we're guilty of recently bias and exaggerating sometimes and superlatives for no reason, but is that the greatest game of football we've had in certainly, certainly it's, in it's, our lifetimes, Cal, I'd say it yeah. probably it probably is in yours as well, Jer. Well it's kind of insane because you've got the greatest footballer of all time against a twenty three turning twenty four year old who's already won a World Cup and everybody's like, Oh, this guy could be as good as Pelé. Mm. Like it never happens that you get them and then Mbappe scores a hat trick. Like you you don't get this clash of if if like Portugal had played Argentina in 2010 or 2012 or 2014, like in some big match around that period of time yeah. when the two lads were at their absolute peak, mm. you'd have said, okay, this has the potential. But like we, we saw the clash of two eras going toe to toe and it producing wild moments of quality, controversy, and then intense drama in the penalty shootout. It just doesn't get any better. Like, it just does not get any better than what we watched. Uh, like, there are so many strands to the game. It feels like there must be a hundred moments. A lot of subplots. Yeah. I wonder just how much did the illness in the French camp affect their French players? Because they were so below par for the first hour. Well, we just talked to Jean-Philippe Leclerc there, and he was making the point that they don't think it was it was that. They think that tactically they got it wrong, that yeah. they, didn't, they didn't have the setup to deal with Angle Di Maria, and so... All of a sudden, everybody's discombobulated. What are we supposed to be doing? Are we staying or going? Are we are we pressing or not pressing? And that kind of like was a virus like inside the system. And um, yeah, and you have to give Argentina huge credit um, having coughed up a two goal lead again to come mm. back and get so back in front. When when you were saying to Kev, did you ever think at half time? I was like, it's two 0 This is like so. Oh yeah, you know the Horiel cliche that there's always loads of uh, good. Uh, um, data people on the internet who are like well any time a commentator says a 2-0 lead is the worst lead in football it's incorrect Most dangerous actually. lead oh it's terrible it's, it's obviously not true I mean we know it's not true but we've all seen it happen yep. and if you're an Aston Villa fan you know it definitely is true because it always happens in the big games when you're 2-0 up or if you're Ireland that it's also happened to you in the past mm. but like with Argentina literally a World Cup final against Germany 2-0 up 2-all yep. in this tournament every time they've had a 2-0 lead every time you're like, oh, oh it's going to happen. That's then, why, yeah, you felt there was a chance. Yeah. And at halftime, even though France were so brutal, you felt surely they have to do something here. But then the time I thought it was over was, you know, the first five minutes of the second half, Argentina were the team that came out with all guns blazing. You're like, all right, France are gone here. Look at that photo. It's amazing, isn't it? Iconic. Like, it's something we thought, and even Aguero, he's on Aguero's shoulders. Aguero, Aguero, good man, Aguero. I That's mean, exactly what you want him. John Terry, I think, he was didn't on one pull of on John Terry tweeted, though, he didn't pull on the shin pads and the boots. Yeah, he didn't. He had runners on. 
Yeah, I think John Terry said on, on Punditry, he said he's done a full John Terry there, to be fair. Uh, like, <laughs> if John Terry's reaching that point of um, self-parody, that's okay. Uh, heading into the game, the last eight World Cup goals that Argentina conceded were in the second half. Apparently, um, was Aguero staying with Messi? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I hadn't heard that. Mm. Um, uh, like, I was bloody exhausted after watching it. I mean, yeah. it was just an assault on the senses and the emotions. Kev was saying there were those this morning he was crying <laughs> like full on crying when he saw the images of Messi yeah. with his family and stuff and I think the moment for me was when you saw him hugging his was his mother came down yeah I saw that Yeah, you're, hugging, you're, you're watching that and you're like oh Jesus this is this is like yeah. the, the perfect pinnacle moment because um, even I felt sorry for France at different points with the, Mo- the Moani miss and even the two lads missing the penalties come on and too many I felt sorry for France but the better team marginally won like and because it was Messi you're like well you can't take this away from them. It was just a, a football match that had absolutely everything. Like if someone had said to you at the start of the tournament, Kylian Mbappe is going to score a hat-trick in the final and lose. I think if you wrote a script for a movie oh. based on what actually happened last night, people wouldn't put it, like they say, no, that's too crazy. They should never have another football match in that stadium ever again. Well, I don't think they will. But, um, <laughs> they'll probably demolish it. Yeah. No, the second highest crowd, the biggest crowd since... Didn't look like it at the start of the second half. Oh, anyway, weird, yeah. Fabian Pelem is the uh, journalist in Argentina who has captured this footage from Buenos Aires. Have a look. It'd be a good place to be, Buenos Aires. I was saying there was two million around the obelisk, like moments after, and yeah. they were still coming. So I didn't realise there was such a significant Irish diaspora in Argentina, yeah, the fifth huge. largest or something like that. Yeah, and particularly there's a big connection with uh, the Midlands, the Irish Midlands in Argentina, apparently. So congratulations, to everybody in the Midlands. Is that from the uh, Silo Wallahan? Uh, well, going to be on the flight over. <laughs> yeah. He's well known over there at the Monday Club in Buenos Aires. Yeah. Big listenership to Midlands Radio over there. It'd be pretty good, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and those scenes, it's, it's it's South American people and Argentinian people particularly uh, are so expressive when it comes to their emotions. So like seeing scenes like that, you're just like Jesus. Yeah. Like she was listening to the wireless. She was getting there was no. T- I didn't see no, any TV. I didn't there, see there a big had, screen. No, I didn't there had to be a screen somewhere. Maybe Somebody somewhere but. was yeah. Um, definitely old school. Uh, right, make sure you check out the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo food. We get it. We have to talk about um, the weekend's hurling and camogie action. Uh, I think we're going to start with Dunloy and just um, yeah. screw that. Or we're leading with Dunloy. They're the big story of the weekend. Beating St. Thomas's with Michael Vernian on Friday. And um, he just thought that Thomas's were a better team now than the last time they'd beaten an Antrim team in uh, a semi final and that they were going to manage this. But they just they couldn't. They started well and um, Dunloy just kept with them. And then by half time, had managed to find some rhythm and were causing real difficulties. Had had the penalty and won the penalty, and I, I, I like that. I was like, "Come on, the penalty is now too hard to score from that distance." It seemed unfair because it was a clear professional foul when it looked like Dunloy were going to score, and then they didn't get the benefit from. It. And I thought this is the type of thing that a young team will suffer from, but they didn't. There was no nerves. 
It's just incredible. Um, and what a great boost for Ulster Hurling. I know this is their fifth final, I think, mm. at Dunloy, that they've been there, but it's 2004 since their last one. Um, St. Thomas is uh, watching some of their post-match reaction afterwards yesterday. They just were flabbergasted that the, the, the level of performance that they produced. Um, I'm not sure the time of year, the, the, but Dunloy, obviously, the goal that they got was fantastic, absolutely superb, and they'll relish going into the final uh, against Ballyhead Shamrocks. Um, and as I say, a significant boost for Ulster Hurling to be mixing with teams at this end of the competition. And they've done so, to their credit, over the last 20 years. And you'd hope that it can transfer to inter-county level as well. But Der- Schlock Neal are obviously very strong as well. And, and Antrim, uh, at, at senior inter-county level, have a great tradition. And, and they'll be hopeful that they can transfer that to be competitive in, in the All-Ireland series, uh, maybe down the line. Uh, the other one, obviously, was... Uh, fair to say, the most anticipated club hurling match of the last... Ten years, mm. certainly it was right up there. Mm. Um, Bally Hale beat Bally Gunner in a game that I think didn't quite fire. I don't know. I, d- I didn't see it right, but um, it doesn't. It hasn't uh, got the superlatives attached to it that maybe we hoped it would do. And certainly, if it had been in high summer and good quality yeah. uh, weather, and but still a gritty performance from the old dog for the hard road. Yeah, it seemed like there was just um, a real defiance about the Ballyhale performance yesterday that they weren't going to be beaten. I think there was a lingering hurt and maybe a little bit of tension between the two teams after last year that was evident in the build-up to the match and that probably transferred to the game yesterday. It was tight, it was physical and it was close. Uh, but Ballyhale did enough to get over the line and you have to give them massive credit for doing that. I mean, Ballygunner, a lot of the talk was about Ballygunner in the lead into that game and the the standard that they were playing at and whether they could be stopped. But Ballyhale certainly uh, put an end to that. I think it's Ballyhale's fourth final in a row now. So they're, they're really on top of their game. And for Dunloy, I mean, going into the final, all the talk's going to be about Ballyhale. Yeah. It's going to be a, a nice position for, for Dunloy to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the manager, the manager Gregory O'Kane, spoke about the fact that they have that, we mentioned it earlier, the pacey forward line. The Croke Park pitch suited them. Like for a lot of those players, it was probably the first time they played on that pitch. Yeah. Um, but they looked like they played there all their lives. Like they, they they found the space, they are quick. Um, now obviously Bally Hale will will be a different prospect at St Thomas's, but I mean, you'd give them a chance. Of course, absolutely. Uh, and they've got the few weeks to prepare now, so you can kind of come down off the thrill of winning your semi final. To yeah, you give them a chance, but equally Bally Hale could be three four to no score up after fifteen minutes and it's yeah. game over because they have you know they'll be sticking TJ in the full forward line and Laurie ball in for the first ten minutes just to see what happens. That um. Yeah, I think Harry Ruddle's name will be would have been on Ballyhill's dressing room wall since last year. I know he wasn't. I don't think he was involved this year. With I think they brought him on as a sub late on yesterday. I mean, yeah, just to maybe inspire another moment. Yeah. But I, but like the rivalry, the rivalry is still juicy between the two of them. But I mean, we probably expected a, the expectations were a bit high heading into yesterday. But I mean, was it Joey Holden's name kept cropping up as someone who's just. Mm. Unbelievable yesterday. It's like just a pity. Obviously, it's a huge pity that it clashed with the the, the World Cup final um, because it was a really eagerly anticipated game. And when you talk about the club game, trying to gain a profile nationally, that was a game that certainly had a national yeah, profile. Yeah, we were all down to see it. But do you think it should have? Do you think the GA should have bowed? And well, I think if the two clubs were happy to play it, I don't think yeah. I don't think it really matters. Um, obviously, a smaller crowd and the crowd, even if it was twice what it was, it still would have been lost in Crow Park. Uh, with the size and of you couldn't move it to Saturday because of the Camogie final anyway so it was weddings and different things happening as well yeah. I think in certain clubs this weekend with the other semi-finals so all in all I mean it's going to be a, a, an interesting final and Dunloy is the story of the weekend really uh, I would say so congratulations to them 
Sarsfields are the uh, All-Ireland Camogie champions. They beat Vincent in the semi and they beat Lock in, the, in the final. And um, they've won really tight games, but they've always looked like the team who were going to come through. Yeah, that bit of experience, I, I suppose, from inter-county level as well with the McGraths, uh, really significant for Sarsfields. I was actually in Crow Park for the intermediate game on Saturday and uh, really, really, really cold. <laughs> really cold, which really impacts uh, the distance the ball can travel for a start. Mm. Um, and there was also a, a small enough crowd there. But congratulations to them because they've really put together a good run, uh, Sarsfields. And uh, the first game, Clonduff beat uh, James Stevens from Kilkenny. So... It was uh, a good evening for Camogie. The, the weather, as I say, was freezing, which didn't help things. But the fact that Crow Park was available for those games is also brilliant uh, to let the players play there and, and experience the big stage where these games should be played uh, is Crow Park, even if the crowd is a little bit on the small side. But it's about probably building the profile uh, for Camogie at inter-county level and, and at club level as well. And I think they're doing a good job of that. Sometimes I feel like a game where the uh, crowd is like two or half, three, four thousand the atmosphere can be sensational if it's not in Croke Park. Mm. So I'm definitely I'm on the fence about that because, however, this time of the year, if you want the game to go ahead and you need the game to be sure it's going to happen, stick in Croke Park because the quality of the pitch is better than everywhere else. And that's just... And also Croke Park is where all the players want to play irrespective of the size yeah. of the crowd, I think. Um, particularly at club level, it's such a special thing to reach Croke Park with your club, I would imagine. So uh, I think all of the players in the clubs will be certainly saying that they want to play in Crow Park but I do take your point about playing it in a Parnell Park for example if you had 5,000 there it makes a big difference yeah well just like if you think back to the, the minor final being played in, in Nolan Park and it's full and it's correct like, wow, yeah this that is incredible like, yeah. real, there's something magical about that um, I, th- I do think Gregor O'Kane had made a point of it being Crow Park like he, he actually called it the greatest stadium in the world after yeah. the match like he uh, I mean caught up in the moment maybe slightly but he, he was fully invested and the players I think were invested in the fact that look this is Croke Park we don't as a club have a great record here as he said for losing finals in the late 90s early 90s and Gregory O'Kane was part of all of those so mm. he carried that hurt into the, into the dressing room and probably said to them lads we need a win in Croke Park as a club and uh, wouldn't they love in four weeks time to get another one yeah it would be great for Antipurling if that could happen right two minutes past nine Carl good stuff thank, thank you lads a reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Uh, OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Brian O'Driscoll meeting Eason Asewa. Splunk at 3 o'clock. Uh, you had to be there, Graham Hunter at 4. And OTB Gold is Michael Owen on his life after football. And then Joe will be back from 7 tonight with um, a look back on the World Cup final and plenty more Monday Night Rugby. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's five minutes past nine. It's Monday morning. It's a, a win Monday for Munster. I'd say the atmosphere uh, in the Munster camp on the way home from Franklin's Gardens would have been sensational, Alan. <clears throat> really pleased with a win, I think, uh, to get the win over there. Uh, but I think the second half wasn't... Uh, you wouldn't. You enjoy the defensive effort when you have to, when you have to dig in. But I think um, the the bigger picture is a lot of mistakes and errors, and and the discipline was poor. Eighteen penalties, but a big positive is a win. You know, given where Munster were at the start of the season, I think um, they dug in. They showed a lot of grit and determination. And yeah, I know Graham Rowntree said this after the game, and it isn't just coaches speak. When you have to put in a hard shift like that, it does make you grow as a team. There's a lot of backslapping, and you can go around the dressing room afterwards and say, we were under pressure here and we, we, we never gave in. And They need that kind of a, a day as well. It, it's not the worst thing in the world that could have happened to them. No, because like, 
there was a lot of credit given to Munster after the Toulouse performance and I just wasn't sure if it was too early for that credit but they backed it up in all the ways they need to back it up with like it wasn't quality that they showed uh, in terms of ball handling or even decision making in some instances it was sheer grunt now they were fortunate a little bit a couple of times with some refereeing decisions I thought quite fortunate could have been a penalty try should have been uh, should have been a couple more yellow cards <laughs> like, but do you, do you Absolutely. But... I think the referee was shocking for both sides. Um, I don't think he was making decisions to kind of penalise one or the other at any time, and even at that time... Just lost control. Yeah, and it got, it got dangerous. It got narky, yeah. and the row that happened was... was. Did he deal with the scrap properly? Like No. Uh, I think Dave Ribbons caught John Ryan around the neck. John Ryan, ge- genuinely, there was two, there was so two guys kind of... Yeah, yeah, two guys... Scru- um, um, fighting or pushing or shoving with Jack O'Donoghue Ludlam and that's where it started and then uh, and Augustus to number 8 and then Dave Ribbons joined the second row he's a big man John Ryan just kind of walked in to kind of separate guys and he gets an arm around his neck he gets launched onto the ground and he has two of them they're, they're putting the elbow down his neck yeah. um, he's getting kind of this down and straight into the face that really, really is wrong what happened there and he was an innocent bystander. He didn't run into the no. giant in kind of going punching. He was actually breaking it up. Um, That's Mike, still in a red card. For me, I think Dave Ribbons was shocking what he did. The way you gra- to grab a player around the neck like that with an elbow, he's defend- his hands are down by his side. He's not throwing punches. I think it was absolutely disgraceful what he did there. The Jack O'Donoghue, Ludlam, people can defend themselves there but... There's two of them on one there as well, and and Jack yeah. O'Donoghue like it's he did it, he didn't handle that. Matt Proctor runs from about thirty yards, launches straight in on top of Keith Earls. Keith Earls is, was joined it, but he's getting somebody off his yeah. player. Um, so Proctor, Matt, Matt Proctor, Proctor should have got a yellow card as well. Straight away, I spoke to referee yesterday, and he said first thing I would have done was I would have binned thirteen from Northampton and say you're gone. Now I'm going to have a look at it because the yeah. way you joined that, it's there's no point even having a chat about it. You're gone, yellow card. And I think Ludlum and Ribbons, Ludlum felt a bit, um, that, you know, you're, you're scragging guys there. But when you join in, when it's two on one there and like John Ryan is pinned onto the ground on his back, like and only Mike yeah. Haley joined in, yeah. you know, they're choking him practically. So look, um, I think that was wrong. But uh, the ref for both sides... In fairness, he got the first probably 20 minutes of the game right, and I'm not saying all these decisions, but I think he panicked. Munster could have had more people in the bin. So, for any listeners, I'm not saying he, he screwed Munster here. No. I just think Definitely. he lost control. He Some of the decisions for both sides were like, oh my God. And never got it back either. But yeah, from- and Munster gave away 18 penalties. You could easily take three or four of them off. There was a couple of poach, breakdown poaches. Tigborn comes through them all penalised Gavin Coombs another one clearly on the ball Mike Haley clearly on the ball and he gave it again said no clear release Mike Haley wasn't well, the ta- it, he yeah. wasn't the tackler yeah. and he can come in and poach but okay, so um, I, I thought the benefits of, they benefits started of that really win, well right? the benefits of that win are that like everybody is really really sore but they've all stood up for each other together yeah and, and the conditions together. were horrendous as well so um, it was it was lashing rain it was freezing cold it was a wind there so it was hard to play and do what Munster wanted to do so they had to really dig in um, I thought they started the game really well uh, their shape the space they were getting um, the confidence they showed 
And um, so lots of positives. But you look back at the game, turnovers, particularly after half time, they got into the Northampton 22 a couple of times and forcing a few passes, being a bit too ambitious, not catching the ball when they should, putting the head down, being direct. I think another penalty there after half time, 26, kind of gives you that little bit of a, um, a momentum going forward. But Northampton are scrappy and they've been very hard, kind of hard to beat at home. But they're, to be honest, you have to say they're a poor side when at one stage, once they're down to 13 men and you're def- you're attacking for that long and the end product for them was really poor. So poor side and Munster didn't play well. I see the they showed a lot of grit. Northampton head coach being linked in the Telegraph or one of the English papers this morning as the uh, attacking guru to save English rugby. I'm like, Sam, yeah. Sam Vesti was it? Because yeah. um, I think he's he's probably he played with Bartwick and maybe coached under Bartwick before. Um, their attack has been good, and that's the kind of the, the way they were being built before the game. It was two sides who yeah. have changed the way they play and throw the ball around a bit, but. Munster put immense pressure on them at the breakdown, but um, it's a strange one with Munster. You kind of criticise, you're kind of giving them credit for Toulouse and not. I've been much happier this week than. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. very glass half full this week. Yeah. You're, you're mm. seeing the glass half empty. Um, no, 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 I'm not. I mean, I'm in the middle again. Okay. I'm in the middle again. I think there's lots of improvement. I love the the fight and the determination. They had a real spark to them and an aggression about them all the way through, and they put. Um, I the thought was uh, excellent. Anton Frisch, um, I know we're going to talk about him for, we're going to keep talking about him all the time. Every time he plays, I just think he's, he's, he just reminds me of Gary Ringrose so much. Now, people don't have to jump on and get too, uh, on their high horse about that, that I'm saying something like that. I just think he's, he's a brilliant defender. He's a stepper. He's real physical. He's getting into rocks, clearing out the ball. Um, there's 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 a real rugby player there, a real top class player, I think. And some of his defensive reads yesterday were outstanding again. And there's strength and depth beginning to emerge from like the injury crisis of the last two years. Finally, players who've played a load are actually maturing. It just feels like there's a lot to like about this team at the moment. Yeah, they still have their their issues. Um, the front row for sure, and not and, deep enough. Sure. Um, they're lacking that bit of real grunt and size. Um, but I think. Probably down the charts. When you think they've, um, you know, Thomas Ahern is out, uh, Finneen Witcherly is not available, uh, Dogbo is not available. They're three that yeah. young, enthusiastic, kind of physical players. Maybe Snyman will come back end of January. Um, that'd be a real boost for him. But a lot of this, this same group have played now three or four weeks on the bounce. So they can't keep doing that. So the real kind of measure will be in the next couple of weeks when they play Leinster, Ulster and the Lions and then have Northampton home again. Yeah. So there's, it's it's an incredibly difficult block for them. But Jack Crowley playing at 12 um, started the game well. He probably had three knock-ons in the game. One where he runs that hard line in the first half and then another two where he just takes his eye off the ball. I like the fact that he was physical. He was making carries um, early on but... Um, it wasn't that type of game. It was it was hard, particularly after about fifteen or twenty minutes. It was hard to get any sort of width in the ball because the game changed. It was about kicking in behind and and smashing each other. Round three, giving uh, name checking Dennis Leamy after the match as well, saying he's turned into a very very good coach. Like and to not concede and for an away team not to concede a try at Franklin's Gardens, 
doesn't happen too often. It's clearly the monster defence uh, under Leamy are doing something like yeah, um, and and that's you know you build you can build a lot on the defensive stuff. I think they'll be disappointed with with some of the handling errors, the turnovers, um, but. If you're porous in defence and you're letting in tries and um, it's very, very deflating, you can get so much kind of a, of a good feel out of defence. But that's that was the story of the season so far, wasn't it? Like they had been bad and now they're good. That's amazing to have a turnaround. Their defence has been pretty good all season, even in the games they've lost. They've conceded the least amount of tries in the URC. So um, this is something where they're, they're he's trying to build a foundation from, and I you would do it with any team in any sport, wouldn't you? You know, if you're playing against a star-studded side, for example, and, yeah. and under 15 championships is the it's tighten cliche, up, lads. Don't give them get, time. Don't give them space. Blah 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 blah. You do all that. It's stuff. a quick impact, you'd say. Yeah, but they're good. There's some good defenders there as well. When you look at, uh, you know, particularly the turnover stuff, um, O'Mahony, Tygburn, John Hodnett when he came off the bench had a superb yeah. turnover. Um, Sly old dog O'Mahony as well, stealing lineouts when it looks like he's not even going to contest Bourne them. and O'Mahony when they didn't look like they were going <laughs> to yeah. contest him. So I think naive and um, they won't get carried away in Munster and think um, you know they're brilliant now. I think Northampton were really, really poor in attack. Okay. But Munster defensively can take a lot out of that game. Uh, in a way, they saved the weekend in many respects because the rest of the weekend was a bit of a shambles a comment from Tommy Tommy seriously what has happened in the Heineken Champions Cup grew up watching in the 2000s as a prestigious competition last 8 years it's gone downhill rapidly it's gone stale pool stage format is a farce also it hasn't gone stale it's just they've screwed it up like Covid was difficult for everybody but it was definitely screwed up the format of the competition at the moment is makes no sense just it, like for Gloucester to be able to not put out a team that was able to be competitive and for them still to be in a competition after it. Like, this is... It's a shambles, I think. Yeah. It, um, I said this on Friday. It's very hard to bl- blame Gloucester because their first team would have been beaten anyway by Leinster on Friday night. And they've got big Gallagher Premiership games coming up in the next few weeks. Plus, they got five points out of the first game. So, eight, nine, ten points can get you into the knockout stages here. Are you going to win it? Are Gloucester going to win it? Are they one of the contenders? No chance. But to get into the round sixteen and be knocking around near the near the end of it, you can you can build something out of that. But um, the format, yeah, it, there's a lot of people talking about it. It's I'm not here saying are you, Jer, kind of giving out about it, and and we're the only ones. If you go online, there's so many rugby fans saying that they don't like, uh, they don't like this format. They don't like the two pools of twelve. There's eight teams coming out of each group. Like it's there's you you're nearly inviting teams to kind of yeah. throw a match here or there or put out weakened teams. They have to manage their squads and I, and and again Gloucester people. I I was reading some stuff online. It all comes back to Ireland's big massive budgets and we're uh, salary caps and all this kind of stuff. I saw a response yesterday. The average probably wage in the Munster squad is 70 to 80 80 70 or 80 thousand euro per year the Gallagher Premiership is probably more than that but I think it's the depth of number of players they have it's probably um, the Irish squad well Leinster are the ones that they keep referencing all the time they keep reference Leinster but their academy system and you know the school system here helps helps a lot it makes and they have a great system in place now yeah but that system is also available to other you know 100%. 100%. Like if, if so they're now going, to, and there's a lot of reference to all oh, Leinster a few years ago, 2011, when they 
they won the, the Heineken Cup final against Northampton. They were 22-6 down at half time. The week before Leinster rested their whole team, um, the week before Northampton had a bruise and battering match yeah. that they had to get through and they got tired in the second half. I saw one. Maybe it, maybe it's true, but I think the URC at the moment is has become more competitive. And there's always this URC and, and Gallagher Premiership. There's way more intensity sometimes and has been over the years in the in the games in the Gallagher Premiership and there's maybe it has been a desperation to win those games more so than URC games that's changing change a little bit now with the South Africans in it's better we all acknowledge that but quality wise you know Rod said in 2007 for us going to 2006-7 going to Leicester and we were all freaking out at him where he basically said um, I don't know what people the, think the English the Celtic are League at the, the time. Players. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And we were there. Jesus Christ, we're going to Leicester to Welford Road, like at the weekend. Hello, and then he kicks the winning penalty from outside the ha- in, inside our own half. And after the game, he's like, "Well, I told you so." <laughs> but uh, if we'd lost the game, we would have been given out. Him. But look, that debate goes on, and it's difficult. And. and Covid, I think, really impacted Eng- the English Premiership teams and made it difficult for them. Obviously, I think having the IRFU here behind the provinces here helped the situation, the government, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but like they got they got help as well in the UK. But they're going to give Finn Russell a million a year to play for Bath, right? That's the rumor at the weekend. Yeah, yeah that's but is that a good? Is that's that a good the owner of Dyson who has can put his hands in his pocket yeah. like that? Is that a good use of resources though? Like, you know, come cry at me about the yeah. how well you're managing stuff. Sign 10 great young players and build a squad or lash it all into one guy. And will you and my grand even know what to do with him? I don't think so. Like, whatever. It, the, I'm, I have limited sympathy for um, Premiership rugby fans whining about other fans enjoying rugby. Isn't it incredible, though, that they're focusing on Irish player, the resting players and all this kind of stuff? When yeah, that's the reason. These are English teams who have steeped in Living history. Living their heads rent-free, Quinny. It's, it's, there's a little bit of that, Shane. There's a little bit of that. It's mm. um, Well, let, let's talk about... The, you, you mentioned Raj, and uh, at half-time, I saw the score and was like, oh, my God. What the hell's going on here with us? Thinking it's going to be something like Leinster lost her the, the night before that it's going to be fifty or sixty points here and it's twenty nine nil to Ulster to, to La Rochelle at half time. Everything else Ulster touched uh, went wrong on them. Their discipline was poor. They t- kept turning the ball over, um, losing the ball when they tried to do something themselves. They seemed to be all over the shop. I know they had. We, we were talking about the travel the week before. They just get into their heads again, really. I just think, I always think me as a player, would I have liked to be going from Belfast down to Dublin? No, it wouldn't. But, um, it's a lack of fans, really, isn't it? Like, yeah, that, that and, seems and to look, I, I think yeah. they have a legitimate argument to say, well, we haven't been treated the best here. But what we're forgetting in all this decision, the decision that was made Friday evening, it was made at that point, and at that particular moment, the Kingspan Stadium was not playable at that time. Wake up Sunday, Saturday morning, and it's 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 heading towards being playable. There's a change in the weather; it's milder. Um, could they afford it to wait? It. Who's making that decision? Is the question. And so the it's the referee and the EPCR. The referee was there, Luke Pearce. He's if he's asked the question, is the pitch playable at the moment? 
it's either yes or no. It obviously wasn't playable. Surely you have modern. The CEO then of, of Ulster Rugby, Johnny Petrie, who's tweeting and he's a presence online, um, basically saying the following morning that it's it's playable, the pitch is playable. Should they load it up the, the buses again and head it back up the road? Sure. Maybe. You'd imagine modern weather forecasting would tell them, right, if it's 65% playable on the Friday and we know what the forecast's going to be, it's going to be X percentage. You need to agree which uh, meteorologist following. Well, like, you know, this, this is going to happen again and again. The Irish Times are saying Ulster need to explain themselves. <clears throat> Ulster are saying the EPCR need to explain themselves. All in all, right, it's not, it's not a great look when you can't host your own it's very easy. It's very easy to blame EPCR here and say oh, they, they messed them about and they weren't treated fairly. That, we don't know, like, there's a pro- there's protocols in place here that would have been adhered to. If your ground is not available the day before, yeah. we have to move to an alternative. There's no point in coming on Saturday morning saying, no. oh, well, the weather has changed. They should have been bashing heads, and I'm sure they did. And there was a lot of resistance out of Ulster. They were resisting heavily Friday night, I was told. But... If the protocol says, well, 24 hours before kickoff or whatever that is, we don't know exactly. We'll try and find out exactly what that protocol is. Well, I'm sure EPCR haven't done anything that's not down on paper no, here. It's so in at the end of the, the day, game. absolutely. Like, it's an easy thing fans. and it's wrong to just blame them. Um, you can't just ju- turn around and drive back up the road and say, oh, Saturday it's playable. There's logistics here, there's insurance, there's stewards, there's uh, road policing, there's all kind of stuff. It would have been all in place for, for Belfast. Um, but Dan McFarlane was very strong on it. So look, it'd be great to hear a little bit more and get the specifics from all, yeah. from all of Ulster. I, I do, uh, you know... Um, Leinster were in a situation last year, Jared, with the Montpellier fixture and the... We were all saying, "Oh, we should. They should. It shouldn't. The points shouldn't be awarded to Montpellier." But you know, afterwards, I went and I looked, and I, I EPCR did. They could have allowed a change, but you know, they weren't wrong on what they did, given what was down on paper and what all the clubs signed up to. They signed participation agreements here, and this would have been down in black and white for Ulster as well. So. It certainly wasn't ideal. You feel they've just got a, a raw deal with the weather in the last two weeks, Ulster Rugby have. Yeah, and in fairness, that might be true, but the performances... Correct. Like, we have to talk about Ulster. This is shocking what's going on. Yeah, I think it goes now, back to that second half in the RDS. The two and, losing uh, bonus points maybe get them a little bit out of jail and maybe that's a turning, turning point for the season. So before... And McFarland seems like a really good coach. Well, they've got to go to La Rochelle next, so let's look at it. They've... They have two points, two brilliant points given where they were at half time. Rogers going home probably deflated and a bit angry that they didn't get the bonus point and they didn't kick on um, for sure. Um, Ulster will feel, yeah, we got two points here, but they've got La Rochelle next away. Really difficult for them, who knows? And then they've got Bath at home or um, Sale at home, the last game. Seven or eight points is getting you into that, possibly getting you into round 16. Is that any good to Ulster being away? Um, they'd still prefer to be there than not be there. But the way they play and the quality that they show at times, they're too good not to be, but they're not consistent enough. And you're talking about that bit of steel. Um, sometimes you feel that that collective is not... It's less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, sometimes. They're very talented. Um, yeah. And that was a good team. And I thought it was very hard. I felt sorry for Ian Henderson the other day because 
he got frustrated. He kept give away one or two penalties. He came in from the side on a line break, ended it up in the bin. But Treadwell's not starting. Can't get in the team after his um, great summer. Well, I don't know what happened. Um, I think he may have, may have paid the price for the week before over right. in Sale. Um, Carter and Alan O'Connor were in the centre. I think Alan O'Connor, he offers uh, that bit of fight and that bit of aggression and he's very physical. But um, overall, I think the turnovers and the penalties, I did give away 15 penalties. Munster gave away 18. Any rugby analyst will tell your supporter, when you're up... In double figures, you're you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. So they give away a lot of penalties. They're handling errors, and um, you know John Cooney running back the ball, going down on the ball and knocking it over the line, and conceding the try. There, everything was going wrong in that first half. But they showed a little bit of character, so they can find some sort of solace in what happened in the second half. And you know, the penalty at the end to get the two losing bonus points. They scored four tries in that second half. It was. Uh, a brilliant response, and they show people that they they can play well, rugby. It's up like listen to Ian Henderson talking afterwards. He was talking about at half time they were like, let's let's have a nil nil mindset here. Let's treat this as a why can't they why can't they have that mindset at the start of games because they seem to start so poorly recently. Yeah, there's um, there's something affecting them there a little bit in the last few weeks, and we've seen that bit um, that situation. And um, unfortunately, um, I. I Unfortunately, it's we, we in the a lot of these big games we seem to say it's a mental thing. We're looking at fragility there around um, them allowing this stuff to happen, and sometimes being the architects of their own downfall. When Ulster play rugby, they're a phenomenal side yeah. when they get on the front foot. But that's something in the culture in that right at the moment. Yeah, but I think it's growing, and I like I like Dan McFarlane what he's done there in the last few years. He's brought a little bit of steel and edge in, in some in some of the performances you look at and say, right, they're getting they're getting there. And then, but Europe does that to you; it exposes any sort of weaknesses. And and the URC in Leinster, they did that in that second half, but they've been unlucky with the, in the last two weeks as well. Um, Leinster obviously made a lot of changes, and it, it's it's hard to talk about that Leinster game beyond. Um, some important players getting some game time, and I think Kelleher coming back is a big boost. Not just <laughs> it's for not Leinster, bad. yeah. Like um, the two who's, tries. Who's first just, that's the question, and that's where we um, what will happen there now. I think um, I think Ronan Kelleher is second choice at the moment, um, and it's great to see Tom Stewart coming through at Ulster as well. Um, I, I think he's a great player, and I think he's shown great promise to hooker. Um, with Ulster, so there's a bit of depth coming in that position, which is um, which is good. But to have the two Leinster guys, I think they're you know top class international players. So probably the biggest positive the other night for them was was Kelleher being back in the field and, yeah. and performing, rampaging, uh, and doing really well for them. Yeah, because they're both angry runners, and you don't want them to lose that part of their game. It's like really important, but equally that's where the injuries can crop up. So. Bonus point win for Connacht as well. We should mention them, and like yeah, that was the pretty strongest important. team. A yeah. um, couple of injury concerns like with Thornby and Boyle. Thornby and Paul Boyle, yeah, that's that's tough for them now. Um, I, given the Christmas fixtures and all that kind of stuff, it's hard on them. But kind of went under the radar. Yeah, for Connacht fans, don't be giving out to us when you're in the Challenge Cup. That's what happens. It goes under the radar. Um, so, uh, but very important win for them, and and. 
enjoyable to go on the road like that as well and go to France. Brieve have been struggling this year and they, they, they've been very much up and down. But um, to get a bonus point win there is a big, big result for them. Yeah, and they started brightly in the game as well. Like they went, got the lead, unlike Ulster. It's probably the, the opposite of them. They actually start games quite well, Connacht. And look, as you say, it's the Challenge Cup, but wins, wins breed confidence. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important for them. They play Ulster now next weekend, so they've to try, got to try and build on that. But um, the two injuries are hard. I thought Paul Mine, and we spoke about it, Ger, uh, in recent weeks. He was playing really, really well, and. Um, I didn't see it. Looks it like he's a shoulder injuries. injury. It looks like a shoulder, serious shoulder injury, and Gavin Thornby possibly dislocating his kneecap. That's a big blow for them, but it's part and parcel of the game. Unfortunately, you can get very unlucky, but um, hopefully they recover pretty quickly. Um, Quinny, big day for you. You're you're about to go and take on Nathan in the OTB Games Room. I have no chance because I'm not a gamer at all. <laughs> I was going to say I thought you all you professional <laughs> no, athletes because you've nothing else. No, to do. I'm not. No. I cannot sit down and do it. Um, but anyway, after today you'll find out I'll try today maybe a bit of natural ability might help me here I'll just intimidate him yeah like, you know. I'll kick him exactly yeah, smack talk yeah, well, well. Gym. exactly <laughs> I mean look got to take whatever advantages you have in these yeah. things you know? it's, all about the, it's all about the victory what should I do when I go in first intimidate him kind of go over him just lean on him and lean into him a little bit yeah right that's the only way to do it I think with Nathan if he gets cocky as well uh, what, did, what did you think of Messi um, yeah, it was brilliant. I think uh, I, I was a bit divided because I like I I I, I, I love the comeback, uh, but it's a great story in the end for for someone who's been so brilliant for so many years. It was it was phenomenal. I was sitting there kind of falling asleep towards the seventieth minute, and then <laughs> wow. It was Definitely, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. It was. We might be able to flick over to the hurling if this <laughs> just one more goal. And yeah, you'd, you'd be grand. But uh, no, in the end, um, they did justice to it. Good stuff, Alan. Thanks a million. Cheers, that. Thanks. It's nine thirty-two this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning. Former and Doc Manager Vinnie Perth's going to join us in studio to give us his tactical insight into the World Cup final. We'll have reaction to Starfields retaining their All Ireland Senior Camogie Championship. We touch on an incredible weekend of NFL. Um, uh, obviously a lot of you weren't paying attention to it but it was pretty good and plenty more besides right now we're going to leave you at the best of the Sunday paper review so it's the Irish Daily Star's Chief Sports Writer Kieran Cunningham and Shane Keegan alongside Joe Malloy and uh, <laughs> it says here enjoy may a little bit of Christmas joy be sprinkled on you during this dreary Monday it's not a dreary Monday it's post World Cup glow enjoy the afterglow OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.